Hello and welcome to Media Made, the show in which we year by year explore the movies, music, and TV that most invaded our lives. I am your host, Knight of the Table Round, Rod, and I'm joined by... Historically accurate, Jess. Nice. And here we are together to talk about music of 1995. Woot woot. If uh, you are new to the show, let me explain the premise. Uh, Jess and I have gone through a list of every music album released in the year 1995. We've decided which one each of us have heard the most, right? Yeah. Or heard the most songs from. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, yeah. that's usually what it is, for me at least. In my case, it is the album that I've heard the most start to finish, right? Like, right. There are other albums that we, like Runners Up, that I've also heard like the most of, right? But mm-hmm. I didn't, I never listened to the album start to finish. The, the way my album is constructed, it kind of, you know, it, 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 it encourages listening from start to finish. And we'll explain that in a little, little bit. Because <laughs> it's a, it's a, sp- yeah, yeah, no, it encourages it. Yes. <laughs> I mean, back in 1995, you didn't really have a choice. There were no MP3s. That's fair. And I don't think this guy was releasing singles. That's fair. And you couldn't pop in it. Well, I mean, you could have popped in a CD and hit shuffle, but, eh. yeah. I'm not- <laughs> See, yeah, I guess there were CDs in the 90s. Yeah. 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 What do you mean you guess? We had VH, or not VH, Sir. we had cassette tapes in my household until like 2002 or something. We still have cassette tapes in my mom's household. Um, yeah, and so we, we do this for music today, but we also do shows for movies and TV. So mm-hmm. look out for that as well. But I guess uh, we're going to start with my album of 1995. I Since guess. we're on the subject. Released October 27th, 1995, the debut rock opera concept album by this ambitious progressive metal project. That is The Final Experiment by Arion. This is the voice of Merlin. Listen well, for it concerns you. This chronicle commences in the year 2084 AD. Mankind has virtually destroyed itself. Its survival depends on the final experiment. 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 Scientists from the 21st century have developed a new computer program called Time Telepathy. By using this technique, they have sent visions of humanity's decline back in time. These transmissions have been received by the mind of a blind minstrel who lives in 6th century Britain. His name is Arian. Arian! Arian? It's like it depends on how you say it. I think it depends. Arion or Arian? Oh, I've always said Arion. Arian. Uh, yeah, that's that's a whole lot of gobbledygook. <laughs> Dweeb. <laughs> so yeah. So mean. I, I'm sure you know. Normally, when I introduce an album, I, I hit play on a popular track to get us in the mood. I was like, no, I need to play the prologue <laughs> to explain what we're getting into here. There's a prologue. Yep. Uh, that is the, that. That song was called. It's called Prologue, mm-hmm. right? And the movement at the beginning was called the Time Telepathy Experiment. Gosh. T-T-E. So, yep, that, that's that's what we're talking about. This is 
of all of my albums talked about so far, so far, this is the most niche, the most cult album that we were going to have talked about so far in Media Made. Okay? I will not disagree with it that. It is the David. least mainstream album, okay? That I think, like, as we go through this show, the point is it reveals to us, like, elements of ourselves, right? Like, right. We're talking about what built our taste. Mm -hmm. And, like, my taste is weird, conceptual albums. You're, you're not wrong. That is that is definitely a, a definition. <laughs> uh, yeah, so before I talk about why Arion is my album, except for I like weird albums, uh, have you, have you no. heard? No. <laughs> Don't even finish the question. No. <laughs> what, were, what were your impressions the first time you heard it? <laughs> this would have been a deal breaker had I known about it beforehand. No. <laughs> It's just weird. I don't know. It's just weird. That was just, I was like, this is music for someone. And I found that someone. Science fiction mixed with Arthurian legend. <laughs> Didn't do it for you? No. <laughs> I'd rather listen to an audio drama. It kind of is with singing. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> let me explain how like how I even stumbled upon this. So mm. um, back in college, I frequented the Dream Theater Forum, right? There's a whole forum, fan forum. Uh, there's just thing I did because Dream Theater, as we've talked about, is my favorite band of all time. Uh, we've talked about three other albums so far, so check out our '89, '92, and '94 music episodes if you want to know about Dream Theater. But I'm on the the forum, and there was a thread about like what was James Labrie, the singer, what was his highest note, right? Highest recorded note, right? And we talked about his high notes in uh, the song uh, "Learning to Live." Right, mm -hmm. this one. That's a pretty high note, right? For a lot of people, it's like, oh yeah, that's the highest note, right? And then someone was like, no, have you heard the high note he hits on this Arion album? Because he was a guest singer on, mm. an, on an Arion album in the early 2000s or mid 2000s, whatever. And it goes like this. What? So, so they, they, you know, someone linked to that song on, you know, a YouTube video for that song. And I was like, what is this? Mm -hmm. You know, so I'm listening to it and it's clear that it's a story because James Labrie is singing in character. Like he's the speaker has gone through a great ordeal. And this, this, that last, that was the last song on the, on the album. Right. And I was like, what is this? So he's a guest singer on this weird album. I've never heard of this band. So I look into it and it's like, oh yeah, this guy, the, the project, Arion, they only do rock operas. Mm -hmm. Prime, like it's just, just rock operas. And uh, they get guest singers from around the, the music world, bring them in and have them sing as characters on these rock operas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, normally when you do a rock opera, it's like, you know, one band and maybe a few singers from the band will play different characters. But a lot of the time it's just like the band, the singer plays all the characters, right. you know, and you're meant to like interpret like, Oh, who's singing this portion mm -hmm. of the song with Arion, he casts people and he brings them in and they sing as a character for the whole album. And it's a story. It's like legitimately a music theater project. Yeah. But you know, it's like a metal opera. <laughs> So I listened to that album that featured Labrie, and it's a very, it's pretty good. It's probably their best album, honestly, like the best story, the most grounded story. Mm -hmm. There's no weird sci-fi until the end. Um, <laughs> Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> 
And so I listened to it. I was like, oh, yeah, this is pretty cool. I'll listen to the rest of them. And you find out that all of the rock operas tie into this very expansive lore that they mm. built around themselves, like spanning the creation of the universe the to universe. the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, the Arian universe. The Eris uh, musical in, instead of cinematic universe. So Sorry. it's like just like getting into the MCU. It's like, yeah, I, I guess I'm going to listen to Ar- the Arian universe from <laughs> start to finish. And this is the first Arian album. Ah. This is the first one, and it's called The Final Experiment. Okay. And that's, how, you know. Was it their first one in like this kind of theme or was it this just their the first? This is the first Arian album. Wow. Okay. They came out the gate. They're like, this is what I want to do. Yeah. So When I say they, it's he. Yes. It's one man. Yes. And I will get into that in a second. And he is a prophet. Yes. He is Arian. Yes. <laughs> he is Arian. Yes. Aaron. Right. Right. A-A-Ron. Here we go. Arian Anthony Lucasen. His, his name is not Arian spelled as it is in the band name. Arion is spelled A-Y-R-E-O-N, right? Mm-hmm. His name is A-R-J-E-N. He's Dutch. Ah. Arion. Got it. Arion Anthony Lucasen was born April 3rd, 1960 in Hilversen, North Holland, Netherlands. As a boy, a love of the Beatles and other contemporary rock and roll groups spurred Lucasen to pick up a guitar and pursue a career in music. Uh, in 1980, Lucasen, under the stage name Iron Anthony... <laughs> Uh, joined the Dutch heavy metal band Bodine as a guitarist, or Bodine, not sure. He recorded two albums with Bodine <laughs> before leaving in 1984, feeling that the band and its members were, quote, kind of boring guys. <laughs> That's mean. He's like, he was the youngest guy in the band. He's like, I wanted to potty. I wanted to have fun. And, uh, they they were, were like, that's a lot. That fast living name for me, kid. Yeah, and he was just like, their, their music was very traditional, and I wanted to do something different. Okay. Yeah, so he quickly thereafter joined the heavy metal band Vengeance as a mm. guitarist. Over the next eight years, Vengeance with Lucasen recorded four studio albums and reportedly became one of the most successful bands in the Netherlands at the time. Oh wow. So they were like the they were like the Dutch hair metal <laughs> fan like uh Superstar. Superstars, yeah. Like I, I listened to both Bodine and the Netherlands. Bodine sounded like like early Iron Maiden mm-hmm. or Saxon. And then Vengeance sounded like the Scorpions uh, or like other hair metal bands of the time. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's de- they were definitely of that period. Mm-hmm. Okay? Contemporary. So they, 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 they fit in the canon. Mm-hmm. Vengeance officially disbanded in 1992, leaving Lucasen to pursue a solo career. Ah. His first solo album was Pools of Sorrow, Waves of Joy, uh, which was released under the name Anthony in 1993. That's such an interesting rock Band it, name choice. It, it's his name, Anthony. <laughs> but that's just you know, sounds like the magic. <laughs> uh, that 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 album was a commercial flop. Well, yeah, it was just too. I listened to a bit of it. It's too all over the place. Okay, because mm. he he obviously has a bunch of influences. He, yeah, he loves metal. He loves rock and roll. He loves folk. He loves electronic. He loves it all. Mm-hmm. But. When you put it all in one album that's like 15 tracks long, it's like a whiplash. Uh, that makes it's like sense. too much. It's like, dude, yeah. you got to organize yourself a little bit better because this is not going to appeal to people. Yeah. It's too much. Yeah. They'll like one song because it's the genre they like. Yeah. So it was like very much a... Mishmash. Mishmash. Uh, Smorgishborg. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't very appetizing though. <laughs> Lucasen later said of this period, quote, it was the period in my life when my girlfriend broke up with me, Vengeance broke up, and I had no more record deal. 
So it was a horrible time. Mm. So he's very depressed. He had nothing else to lose. So he's like, I'm just going to make, gosh dang it, I'm going to make the music I want to make. Okay. I'm going to do this and it's going to be all me. I don't know. He's like backed into a corner. He fought yeah. back. He was like, if this is my last time to make take my shot, I will not throw away that shot. Inspired by progressive rock albums of the 60s and 70s and rock operas like Andrew Lloyd Webber's Jesus Christ Superstar, The Who's Tommy, and Pink Floyd's The Wall, Lucasen set out to create his own concept album, working in such a way as to develop the album um, exactly the way he wanted, making no compromises along the way, which I like. I'm like, yeah. Yeah. Keep that power. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, yeah, it's weird. It's like, you know, very corny, but he did it on his own. Hey, yeah, that's something to be said. Yeah, apparently the album was partly financed by Arian's own father. Aww. They sold the house to oh. pay for this album. Thanks, Dad. I yeah. guess you I mean, it was easy to believe in him. He had a successful career before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. What happened to the money he had before? He's a blue it all. I don't know. Like I feel like your musicians don't make that much money. I think like That's fair. Especially do, if you're under a label. Yeah, and they blow through it and Oh. Yeah, I think it's a very unstable career to have unless you're like very smart with your money or you hire someone to be smart with your money. It's someone trustworthy. Yeah. Uh, the album, titled Arion, The Final Experiment, with no artist listed, was rejected by several record labels before being picked up by a small Dutch label called Transmission Records in 1995. Thanks, Trans. So, ta- so yeah, the idea was there. this, this, this project has no band name. Mm-hmm. This is just Arion, The Final Experiment. Okay. And it's like, oh, who made this album? Oh, it's a mystery. <laughs> or maybe it was Arion. Or maybe it was Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And then la- later they'll retitle the album, The Final Experiment, by the band Arion. Got it. Uh, Arion is now kind of the project's band name. Mm-hmm. Uh, Makes but sense. it's mostly just him. Yep. Mr. Lucas. That's how uh, Panic at the Disco works. <laughs> but that is Arion. Hey. So uh, we're going to jump into this album. And I, we're going we're gonna to try our best to... You know, come through the story of the album and see how effective it is. Let's go. It's a story. It has characters. It has a plot, like legit plot. This is not, this isn't amb- ambiguity. This isn't like symbolism. No, no. This is a straight up story. Literal story. Something you could <laughs> tell to your children as you put them to sleep. Yeah. <laughs> hey, remember, remember son when... This is the human beings from the year 2480. Like, you know, they sent. (laughs) Don't spoil the story for the kids. (laughs) All right. So let's jump into it. We're going to start with the we're going to start with the fourth song on the album. It's called The Banishment. The first three songs like they there are a plot, but it mostly deals with the blind minstrel Arion Mm -hmm. receiving messages from the future. Right, yes. And it's just like, oh, wow, what's this? Oh, wow. (laughs) So we're going to start with the fourth song, which is called The Banishment. So it's also very cinematic, as you can hear. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, luckily, Arion's website has plot synopsis of all of these albums. You know, in a, in a very easy to read paragraph format. Like what would be on the back of the book? <laughs> yes. 
So here, let me read what's happened so far in the story. The receiver of the telepathic messages is Arion, a blind minstrel living in the 6th century Britain. He lived his life in darkness from the day he was born, but one fateful day, everything changes. Arion can see images. The minstrel believes these visions are sent to him by the lords of time. Uh, unaware of how much there is left before Earth is destroyed, Arion sets out to tell the tale of Earth's demise, singing songs of war, natural disaster, and computer technology. And that's, that's what's happening right now in the story <laughs> with the banishment. Arion must be banished because he is seeing too much and he's a witch. That Yes. So the first, th- this song, as in most progressive rock concept albums, like big, big songs, big... I don't know, like long songs. You know, mm-hmm. we, we've talked long songs before. Yes. There are multiple movements in the song. Yeah. And they're listed in the track listing on the CD. Okay. Mm-hmm. So the banishment is comprised of five movements. The first two titled A New Dawn, which we just heard a little bit of. And The Gathering are instrumentals. Okay. So mm-hmm. the, the, we, we just heard A New Dawn. It's very film-like. And then The Gathering starts, which is uh, a little different. A little. What is that? What does that sound like to you? An oboe. <laughs> What's well, keyboards? But it, it, like, there's it's, an oboe behind it. It's very old timey. Yeah. Because like less old timey now. <laughs> Yeah, well, he'll he'll get there a little bit when the when the guitar starts up again. But like, the idea was they're trying to place the viewer in sixth century Britain, right? In medieval times, so you gotta have you know your music sound like old timey, like trumpet playing. Mm-hmm. Uh king, the kings are the kings arrived. <laughs> Like oh let's let us hear let hear us go to peasants. the let us go to the town square and hear the blind minstrel sing for us. The crier has something to say. <laughs> yes, so you can hear a little bit of it now. The 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 guitar has taken on that sound. Mm-hmm. So that, that type of music is actually called neoclassical. Mm-hmm. Okay, neoclassical was very popular in metal music. Like, types of metal music, right? Like, niche subgenres of metal, neoclassical had a home there, okay? Okay. Uh, especially, especially in Europe. No, oh, that makes sense. Uh, Ingve Malmsteen, have you ever heard of that guy? No. He was a <laughs> guitar virtuoso. He's like one of the best guitar players ever, Okay. right? But he's very like un- I think he's underrated because he plays neoclassical metal, which mm. is like, yeah, he's writing like basically he's taking like classical music uh, principles mm-hmm. and basically just shredding his electric guitar to it. That you sounds know? So fun. He's like it's it's really good. It's like you listen to him, it's like blowing your mind. Like <laughs> wow, this guy, how can he play that fast? How can he play that like those arpeggios <laughs> like, <laughs> with such grace? Like I don't know. Um, so that, that is what that sound was, you know? So obviously if you're going to set your story, your musical story in sixth century Britain in medieval times, why not throw in some neoclassical, especially if it's a metal album? Yeah. Just have your shredding metal guitar play uh, music that sounds like it's from the age. Makes sense to me. 
Arian Lucasen recorded vocals, guitar, bass, keyboard, synthesizer, drums, percussion, timpani, and did all the audio mixing for the final experiment. Dang. This is mostly just him yeah. as far as so, the music goes. So I was going to say because it's his first uh, um, album as Ari- under the Arian project and his last-ditched effort, he doesn't have any like guest vocals on this. It's all him. No, no, no. There are, go- there are guest vocals. Okay. Yeah, so it's like mostly the guests are his friends, friends. who are doing uh, the... the you know, the characters on the album. Right. But all the music is mostly just him. Okay. Which carries on to a lot of the Arion releases. Like, he does a lot of the music himself. How does he do that in in live? Like He doesn't. A- he hires studio. That makes sense. Or, like, you know, a touring band to help him. Yep, that makes sense. That's what I would do. So let's move into movement three, which is called The Accusation. Here's when the singing starts, and we get, you know, multiple... Uh, characters having, you know, sort of like a dialogue. Sounds like Pokemon music. (laughs) I'm just walking down trail three. No more Pokemon. Sounds like definitely some 70s progressive rock. Yeah. So that is the character, and the, they, they were listed in the album booklet. Who is singing? Those are the characters of the villagers, mm-hmm. and they're singing about how weird Arion is. Like, who's this weirdo? Looking at the sky. Have you heard the things he's been saying? Ugh. Yep. And then Arion, you can hear Arion a little bit, is the, the, the female chorus in between the singer of this song. Mm-hmm. Arion is like repeating, what have I done? Because Arion's in this song, he's being accused by the villagers of being a witch, yeah. being weird, uh, uh, blasphemy. Rule number one of witch club, keep your premonitions to yourself. <laughs> or o- only the people you trust. No, keep your premonitions to yourself. But that would mean the, the, the experiment was a failure. If Save yourself. Uh, so technically, okay, so the villagers are played by singer Robert Soderbok. <laughs> Soderbok? That's a good name. Uh, a longtime friend and collaborator of Arian Lucasen. Uh, Arian is played by a chorus comprised of female vocalists Lucy Hillen, Debbie Schroeder, and Miriam Van Doom. Van Doom. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so a- any anything you want to say about the lyrics of the it- accusation, I guess? I, okay, well, I want to say in, in my lyrics that I have, um, where the uh, the movements are, right? Like, so the first movement, A New Dawn, and then Bee Gathering and stuff. Mine has, like, subtitles there uh-huh. that aren't, like, necessarily... I didn't, I didn't hear them being said. So, like, A New Dawn says, A perceptible tension is hovering above Arion's hometown. Something is at hand. Maybe that was in the booklet. Like, yeah. you're supposed to be reading along... 
with the booklet yeah. as you listen to the album. I mean, which is interesting. Yeah. Um. So that's what it says in the first movement, which uh, that like, especially the last part, it's hovering above Arian's hometown. Something is at hand. It just made me think of Homestuck. So I just wrote that down. Yeah. Well, it's it's such a like a it's such an active experience mm-hmm. when you have to listen to this album. I feel like. With progressive rock concept albums, like they expect you to engage with us with the album in a more active way. Don't be passive with this, right? <laughs> we are progressive. You need to be action. Yeah, it's like this oriented. is music you need to engage in. You can't just mm-hmm. put it on at a party and just be like, oh yeah, it sets a mood, right? No, 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 no. This <laughs> you is really a, can't you got to listen to this. You got to either like sit in your 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 armchair with the booklet and read along, or with brandy in one hand and a cigar in the other. Yeah, or or you turn out all the lights. You put your headphones on and you close your eyes and just let the story like play out in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's supposed to be an experience. Yeah. I think. Uh, no, I was going to say the read the other parts of like the gathering and the uh, accusation if you wanted. But no, go ahead. Okay. The gathering, the gathering like portion says what you would expect. The townspeople gather on the market square to judge to judge of Arian. Is he a prophet or a charlatan, or even worse, an apparition most unholy? <laughs> you know, so there are the lyrics definitely point to those things happening. Like, yes. It's like, should he be condemned for he doesn't belong? This is why. First rule of which club? The accusation, it says, the villagers accuse Arian of being the devil's spawn, but Arian persi- persists in his innocence. And then we get to as it is the accusation, the uh, villagers yelling. <laughs> and they, they tell him, uh, you've betrayed your own, now you have to pay. You have to pay. <laughs> you have to pay. There was one line in this portion uh, that the villager said, you arouse the forces of destruction. And, um, and I just wrote a note, which is what it is. Like, uh, the issue is that he's different, right? Like, yeah. You have aroused the forces of destructions by being different, <laughs> by being not part of the status quo. You are not just weird. You frighten us with how unsane you are. I was like, I feel like that would have happened in all of history. You yeah. know, it's like as as recently as like twenty <laughs> like twenty sixteen. People are frightened by things they don't understand yeah. or things that are different. Yeah, it's like how did how did the people sending these telepathies back in time not realize maybe sending it to the sixth century britain was a bad idea yeah you have all of human course but maybe that was like this is the only time that it would be received this is the only time that there was someone who could be pinged by our magical sciences maybe they didn't know it was just like they're just sending it out into the airwaves into this past and it's like whoever gets it yep (laughs) such bad luck it got into a blind minstrel in 6th century Britain. One of the most, like, uh... Historically unlistened to. Yeah, like, one of the most, um, intolerant times. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah, if, if they see something that they deem as d- too different, oh, he's obviously possessed by the devil. He's, he's obviously against Christ. Uh, there is no other He He needs to be killed and burned, or banished. Banished. I've got to be banished. That's what happens. The, the fourth movement is called the banishment.
Like, and it's, you know, it's basically, it's an instrumental and you heard a little bit under, underneath us talking, but it's basically, you know, a very hectic, uh, metal type, uh, instrumental song. And I assume it's like, you know, playing out the action of the townspeople, like dragging yeah. <laughs> poor Arion through the street and say, like, get out of our town, you witch. Yeah. The, uh, the caption is with sticks and torches in hand, the angry villagers <laughs> drive Arion out of their dimsy, dimson, dimson. Town. <laughs> like, at least they didn't kill him. Or they didn't crucify him right there. Well. Or burn him at the stake. I mean, that's fair, but wouldn't it be nicer to have a quick death than to be pushed out to a place where you probably couldn't feed yourself and that's just a slow death? Yeah, especially if you're blind. Like, yeah. They, it was a death sentence already. Like, oh yeah, this, this blind man out in the woods is just yeah. going to get like, mauled by a bear. There's not much you could do to... He's going to fall off a cliff. Oh no. <laughs> I don't know the land here. Yes. Um, good. Oh, no. Well, I was... Okay, so the next movement is Oblivion. Before we get into that final movement with Oblivion, um, I want to do what I've been doing the last few mu music episodes, especially for my stuff, because Arion is just so out there, right? Arion is on a is a bubble of its own. It's its own little island in music, right? Right. Um, I'm going to talk about the state of metal in 1995. Okay, or like give you an idea of what was going on in the mainstream. Now, okay. Arion is Dutch, right? It comes from Holland. So we're going to talk about where metal was in Europe. Okay, um, two of the most, like two of the biggest metal subgenres in the early 90s, especially late 80s to early 90s, right? The peak around about 1992, 93 was Norwegian black metal mm -hmm. and Swedish death metal. <laughs> The sweet spot of metal. Now, I, I don't know a lot about this subculture. I, I, I've dabbled in it. You know, I, I tend to like death metal more than black metal. Mm hmm. Racist. <laughs> They're, Necromancer. It's like, you know, people are like, what's the difference? Like, yeah, yeah, there's actually quite a difference. And in fact, I think like even back in the day, there was a strong rivalry between the two genres. Uh. You know, it was like, you know, this nationalistic pride of both, you know, because, you know, the, the Norways and the Swedes, they... <laughs> they were like, now our metal's the hardest metal, right? Because they're both extreme subgenres of metal. Right. Um, death metal was more growls, mm. right? Like, uh, I didn't they, expect that sound. I blinked, and suddenly <laughs> there was there was banish ye you you what did what did we call Arion? You you have arose destruction in me. And then sweet uh, uh, black metal was more shrieking, like you know. Uh, I'm thinking like, uh, I, like I can't a, do it. I can't even do it. Like, like King, a little lamb? No, King Diamond, uh, uh, Merciful Fate, like they were they were death metal. Okay. No, they were black metal. Ooh. I'm so confused. Ooh, and who said they weren't the same? Black metal is much, like, it sounds a little bit more, more like screeching, shrieking, mm -hmm. right? So I'm thinking King Diamond, Merciful Fate, um, and then there's... Those are older ones, but like, you know, there's a bunch of... Right, 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 right. It's, it's all like, for them, it was like basically taking the formula of, you know, heavy metal, you know, thrash metal, basically making it, I don't know, like put it, taking it a step further, like mm -hmm. infusing it with like scary imagery, you know, there was, it was a wild time, you know, you read about Norwegian black metal, right? Mm -hmm. Swedish death metal, you hear about this stuff and it's like, oh, 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 wow. It was, there were, like, murders 
and suicides and church burnings and mm. like fights in the street. Yeah, it was like crazy stuff going on. Yeah. So these subcultures in metal like gained a infamy mm-hmm. because it's like, yeah, they're they're writing scary music, but they are scary people. They are the most dangerous. Yeah. Bands. Satanic death metal, you know. Or sata- but was it satanic? Satanic black. Is that black- just what it was yes. labeled as? No, no. Like, it gained that reputation for a reason because, like, black metal bands of the time were like, yeah, no, we are legitimate Satan- Satanists. Okay. Yeah, so, anyway, we're, Arion is not, not that, <laughs> per se. But um, by 1995, the, the death metal scene, the black metal scene had, like, you know, spread across Europe. Okay. okay. So obviously, Arion is like drawing from many different influences. Right, we right. heard neoclassical, we heard folk, we heard just, you know, progressive mm-hmm, rock, progressive mm-hmm. metal stuff. He's obviously also, because it's like so popular, he's going to bring in some of that death metal sound. Mm-hmm. And that's what happens in that movement. The Oblivion? Yes. This is the end of that instrumental portion. You hear some like, you know, progressive rock shredding, mm-hmm. you know, just some crazy stuff on his keyboard and his guitar. And then it'll, it'll take a shift here in a second. Don't like it. So that is definitely some death metal growling right there, mm. grunting. The Arion, the character who is doing the growling, right? He is played by singer bassist Jan Chris de Coyer of the Dutch death metal band Gorefest. Gore. Gorefest. Okay. <laughs> so. Uh, Arian, 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 the man, mm. he, he brought in like a legit death metal guy to do the death metal portion. Yeah. You know, uh, I was reading that like Arian just like didn't even have a me- like a, a melody for the vocals. Like, I think he had some lyrics and he's like, hey, do it however you want. <laughs> do it however you want. He's like, OK, <laughs> <laughs> I'll build the music around it. So I don't necessarily like this particular sound like of this song mm-hmm. right I, i've heard better death metal songs than this you know mm-hmm. I, I like opeth for example right um this this is just a little too uh this one's not as pleasant to me i guess <laughs> i don't know uh were you i saw your eyes widen when the death metal growl started you're like mm. well my brain was like well arian if this is how you were telling your prophecies in the time square in the town square I can understand why they pushed you out with sticks and torches. It's, it does come out of nowhere. And it almost like see, makes it seem like, yeah, Arion is evil. Yeah. And also like it's I think it's strange just because the the caption. I know that's not the word. The subta- subtitle it for the Oblivion the section. Flavor text the D- flavor text. The flavor text. In D&D terms. Yes. This album is just a D&D album. Yes. It's Actually, a D&D campaign as a, as a musical. Can you just make this a campaign? And every, I could. And every new movement just use a different song? <laughs> that would be funny. Um, but the flavor text um, is black licorice here. And, and it's this completely exhausted. Arian roams through the forest. Only an d- indistinct sense of accomplishment sustains him. And so I think that flavor text is weird. So like 
his the growling there with that being the text is like off yeah <laughs> in think, my opinion i think what they're trying to do is say arion is like be, like just like he's like uh distraught like he's pain he's in pain he's like mm-hmm. i have nothing you know he's exhausted he's hungry uh and he's like i have nothing left you know i've been i've been damned i've been condemned but he has an indistinct sense of accomplishment, so I guess he was meant to be thrown out of that place. Well, I mean, he did, he had a he didn't he didn't accomplish his goal because the town didn't believe his his prophecies. That's why the flavor text is weird. <laughs> it is weird, but I think it's a little uh, the the growling. It doesn't quite convey what the story is supposed to yeah. show because it's supposed to be him in pain. Like he's supposed to be sad. Yeah. Not angry. Maybe he's Or at a, least worried. Yeah. Whereas this makes it seem like he's like, I'm gonna get revenge on those those townspeople. <laughs> those kids and their dog too. They want the devil, I'll give them the devil. That's what it feels like. <laughs> but yeah. it's not that. That being said, so the last um portion of this movement where an Arion is speaking. I guess this is what is I I can't hear the words right like because oh yeah just, no I couldn't either That's yeah what, I but, pulled him up as well so it is him saying if I've died then like it's that portion that's what he's yes, saying yes. okay cool so in that like one of the lyrics uh, in this portion says a force within dominates my tormented soul and empowers me to regain absolute control and I wrote down uh, the notion that we become the thing people fear uh, fear. Not because we are destined for it, but because people treat us as if it has already true. Mm. So I think that like that line made me think about any, especially he now hearing it again, realizing like that's what he's he's saying in that death growl. Yeah, is this kind of idea that if people have already decided like this is what you are, um, because well, of course, like that's what they're they're going to be if they were set up like this like just even if he hadn't been you know because if he hadn't broken the first rule of witch club um <laughs> and had just been a blind minstrel he would have been set up oh that poor soul he can never do anything for himself he can't da 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 because this is what people have projected on you and is the truth whether it's not and so that's you wouldn't be able to like if you even as a blind person like I can hold a job. I can do like these things. Not me as a blind person, but I mean people who are blind. People, people were ready to call him devil possessed already. Yeah, like he's, oh, he's your obvious. sin has made you blind. You yeah. must have your 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 sin before your birth. You know, like things like that that people already label. So it's hard to break out of that mold, and it becomes a fulfilled prophecy just because of how people treat you. And so that's what this portion made me think. Like, no, we're banishing you. You're definitely demon seed. Ah, uh, and so he's like, well. <laughs> well, I would think in storytelling terms, it's like, yeah, Arian's the baby face in wrestling parlance. Mm-hmm. Like, he's the good guy, and he's getting beaten down, so you're expecting him to, like, come back and triumph. It's like, th- this this album, no, man, he gets kicked around the whole time. The whole time. Like, he, he never gets a win. <laughs> he never, so it's like, this this ending here makes it seem like he's 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 proclaiming to the world that he will... He, he will, will be triumph. The thing you fear. He, will, he will rise up. But it's like no, no. It's like honestly, like nope. He's he's a he's a sad sack. Oh no. Like the lyrics make it seem like it's a sad sack. It's like the lyrics tell one story and the vocals tell a different story. Yeah. It's, it's like I have died. Then this must be hell. If I am alive, I cannot break this gruesome spell. I am seeking relief and finding none. I have fallen into oblivion. <laughs> Almost seems like he's just giving up. Yeah. But then the next thing feels like he's like 
pulling himself back out, right? Okay. Like I said, okay. a force within dominates my tormented soul and empowers me to regain absolute control. I shall not yield, for I am the chosen one who will who shall rise from oblivion. Okay. okay. So like, you know, like falling down into that place and then being like, nope. Fair enough. And but it's still like Yeah. You expect him to triumph now. It's like here's the here's the proclamation. He's gonna fulfill himself by the end of the story. It's like Arian's got this. We're and gonna he root for will. him. No. <laughs> Don't ruin the story. So we're gonna move on to the next song. Uh, very next song on the album. It's called Ye Courtyard Minstrel Boy. <laughs> I did not like this song. I didn't either. old-timey freaking uh bard-like song it's the worst this song i i had like yeah i listened to this album a few times you know start to finish to get the story or whatever but like mm-hmm. over time i was like this song sucks and i took <laughs> it off my phone um this song features but one speaker uh, an english nobleman played by singer ian perry who was vengeance's second singer ah. okay this is one of arian's old Vengeance buddies. <laughs> uh, it, it, Lucasen specifically said, quote, because Ian is British, I asked him to write his own lyrics for Arion a few times, especially when it was old English. Mm. So this song was all written by Ian Perry and he sang it. Uh, it it's meant to be a noble uh, a gentleman, <laughs> a British nobleman coming across Arion outside. I think you have some flavor text in this, right? Yeah, so it even said, so the flavor text for this is, Good fate has guided Arion to Camelot, King Arthur's castle, where he is welcomed as a worthy minstrel. Minstrel? Minstrel. Minstrel. So he's, he, it's now Arthurian as well. It's like yeah. sci-fi, Arthurian legend, uh, Knights of the Round Table, King Arthur stuff. And it's like, sure, why not? Sure, why not? <laughs> You recently read some uh, King Arthur. Yes. So, yeah, I, I, there was, I got into a little kick where I was reading old Arthur stories, like, and they're ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, so, like, I, I, it's, it's all, you know, King Arthur is like, I think it has, like, this universal, like, appeal to, to people. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's lived on, all, all these old Arthur legends have lived on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Right. right. And I think it's because, like, people can see these grand stories of, like, heroes and knights and dragons and wizards right and it's like oh that that's just fantastical and, and interesting right but when mm-hmm. you really read those old stories like especially the lesser known ones you realize just how dumb they are <laughs> and how ridiculous they are like <laughs> it's it's like just like in like bad science fiction it's gobbledygook mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like this story of king arthur um yeah king king arthur like uh he he is enlisted by a young cousin of his to help him secure you know the Help him, like, win over the princess of the land. And, and <laughs> okay. he's like, Arthur, will you help me? Cousin Arthur, will you help? Of course I will. What do they need? Well, I need to complete a hundred, <laughs> like, Gosh. labors in order to win over the king of the land so I can gain his daughter, the princess. And he's like, I will help you because I have the strongest knights in all the world. And it's just, like, a hundred labors listed out one by one 
of how all of King Arthur's knights are the best in the world at what they do. <laughs> they have the strongest will, strength, um, determination, and how they overcame the hardest of things. <laughs> so that a cousin could get the girl. Yes. It's so Wait. dumb. <laughs> and, you know, bringing King Arthur into this album, it's also very corny. Mm. Yeah, I particularly did not care for the old English of the lyrics. I just... Ugh. It's too much. Yeah. It sets the stage, I guess. I don't want to be on this stage. <laughs> if all the world is a stage, I need a different theater. And, uh, like, the, the singer also has, like, this weird warbly... A production effect on his voice where mm -hmm. it's like I don't it sounds done after the fact like you know it's like feeding through a, a his vocals are fe being fed through a synthesizer and the synthesizer is kind of distorting his voice a little bit so it's like unpleasant to listen to and it just sounds ridiculous let me, let me see you if don't I like auto-tune yeah a little bit let me see if I can pull up uh, the like a chorus here Right? Like, it kind of sounds like he's underwater. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they're drowning this one. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's being invited to the court of the king. To be drowned. Hey, we got lyrics like, Oh, dance thee round the table, for conquerors and kings. Thou must win the heart of Guinevere, fair maiden of the king. It's thou mustest. Mustest? Thy lord, thy master, Arthur, thee is so bold. Heed the words of Arian. And thy future will unfold. It's not good. It's not good. It's so ridiculous. At least, like, it's clear that Arian Lucasen was a huge fan of, like, Arthur and Legend. Like, he, mm -hmm. I know this because you listen to interviews. Like, he loves sci-fi. He loves Star Trek. Yeah. He loves Star Trek Blade Runner. And he must he must love these old Arthurian stories. Yeah. You know, it's, it's fine. You know, he's a huge nerd, and he wants to sing about his nerdy, his nerdy yeah. hobbies. His I escapism. That. That's his philosophy. It's like, music should be escapism. Mm. Like, that's what he's trying to do. It's like, help his listeners escape the world, yeah. you know? Into something, like, that he finds really interesting and cool. I I can, I dig it. I dig it, but I don't like it. I dig in whole old olds, dig in it. Um, Arian Lucasen even traveled to Britain as a research for the album. Oh. And he said, quote, It was clear that the story would be placed in the Middle Ages, and the first thing one thinks of, King Arthur. And before I write something, I want to be sure that I make, I'm not making any mistakes. That's why I went to England, visited some places, read some books. <laughs> Can I just say, Arian's dad's real cool. His dad's real cool. Yes. This, this is... This is an al This is the album that his dad sold his house for, and he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna go to. I'm gonna go to England for research. I'm gonna go to an old castle and like see. Make I'm sure just I'm just gonna chill the facts right. and like walk to places and then read some books on your dime, Dad. Thanks. Where are you staying? Because you sold the house. Like, <laughs> yeah. like it all worked out, and I'm sure it wasn't like with that flippant attitude. But I'm like, excuse me, you're going where? And I'm sure it's like definitely probably cheaper to fly. Um, since both places are in Europe than yeah, it is yeah. to like fly from the U.S. there, but it's yikes. Yep. So any other thoughts on ye courtyard minstrel boy? 
you know, I had a question, uh, or well, I guess a question for you, because oh, the second verse, uh, sing of your wisdom, spread tidings of joy, a feast of song and laughter, ye courtyard minstrel boy. And I was like, are there different kinds of bards? Can you like just sing bad stories about like mm, the king's failure? She'd probably get killed. I have no idea. Well, so <laughs> the the interesting thing here is that so he's being invited to sing his his prophecies to Arthur, where you know the townspeople they they ran him out of town, right? Mm -hmm. King Arthur at least is is humoring him. He's he's that's because he got Merlin. He's like, yeah, hey, you could be you could be magic. Sure, but like so that's another thing about King Arthur is like especially in the older stories, like you know mm -hmm. now. You know, especially in like more modern Arthur stories, King Arthur is like the noble king, right? He's a hero. Yeah. Well, depends on which one you're watching. Yes. But in old times, he like especially King Arthur was a character in a lot of like saint stories about saints, mm -hmm. right? And that was like a thing in the Middle Ages. Yeah. Is like you would write a story about a saint and how he was the most pure Christ-like man. Yeah. And it was like, Christianity was magic. Yeah. It was like, this guy was such a great Christian that he could bring people back from the dead, and um, he could just, if he died, if, if, if <laughs> like, this is real. It, there were stories where this saint died, and they buried his body underneath the church. Anyone who visits the church now, because the bones are so holy, they can be cured of ailments and broken bones and, wow. you know, that kind of thing. It's like magic. Yeah. Anyway, I in those stories about, you know, like Christ-like saints, King Arthur was a heathen. Yeah. He was... Known for like being um, gallivanting around and pillaging villages and hmm. you know taking the women and, and taking the money plundering yeah. right and so there were constant times where multiple saint stories where the saints had to confront King Arthur and say what you're doing is wrong and the saint what you know because the saint was so pure they were able to convince Arthur of his misdoings and Arthur repented of his sins. Hey, I guess. <laughs> So what I'm saying is that maybe Arthur in this album, this story, uh, he is more worldly than and more 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 tolerant of like potential mystical prophecies, right? Like, oh yeah, maybe this guy is, you know, magic possessed by the devil. But let's bring him in. Let's hear what he has to say. Let's not write him off and you know banish him immediately. Yeah. So I don't know. Maybe maybe, maybe Arthur is just. He's more, I don't know, he's more tolerant of the dark arts. Yes. The dark arts. Yeah. So anyway, um, the next several songs, um, so it, it's sort of like basically because uh, here's where the story takes some different like diversions, right? Mm -hmm. Some detours. Because um, I, I, I can only assume that Ar Arian, the man, mm -hmm. um, he he set the world in in the Middle Ages in in Britain, and he introduces King Arthur's court. Let's just indulge in King Arthur songs for a while. So there's a song about going to Avalon and getting the Holy Grail. Mm. It has nothing to do with the story, uh, and so it's just like him being him indulging in King Arthur lore, lore, and King Arthur's the the, the setting of the Middle Ages. Mm -hmm. So this is him having some fun. I skipped over all that stuff and I went straight to the next block of songs, like Act Three of the. The whole album? project. Mm -hmm. Act three uh, relates to Arion's prophecies about the world to come, right? The, right. the, the 20th century, the 21st century. Like what, what happens there? So there are 
four songs that all relate to different uh, disasters that befall the modern world. Okay. Right? So you chose one to talk about, and that song was Computer Rain, Game Over. Yes. So, already getting very electronic, befitting the name. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, the flavor text that I have that I got from Ariane's website says, The terrifying tales frighten the villagers from out of town. We already thought that. I have flavor text. No, I, I, we've talked about this. Never go, go ahead. Yeah. The flavor, yeah. The flavor text I have says, uh, Arian describes the distant future in which technology triumphs over passion and serving computers will gradually gain control over mankind. <laughs> he, he, he definitely just watched... Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> Did it come out? Terminator 2 came out in 92, yeah. Oh. 91. So, yeah. Um, basically, like, we'll, we'll get to the lyrics in a second. But um, the, the, the many different songs relating to Arian's prophecies all deal with different aspects of the modern world, right? Mm -hmm. And, like, concerns and uh, anxieties, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this one, as you said, deals with uh, the rise of technology, right? We're in the digital age now. 1995, okay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the digital, the, the internet. It is, is the digital the, internet, the internet exists. Um, a form of the internet Computers, exists. right? It's, it's Y2K. It's coming. It's coming. <laughs> um, he also has songs about war, right? Just straight up like, you know, uh, nuclear war, like endless wars, that kind of thing. That was right. anxiety. Uh, and then environmental issues, you know, so... Uh, Global warming and uh, climate change and uh, the rainforest being burned down, all that stuff, right? So I think all of those different songs come from a place in, in Arian's like, life where he felt anxiety about where the world was going at the time, right? How old was he about when... I can only assume he was like in his late 20s. Oh, uh, okay. Maybe early 30s. Most likely late 20s. Yeah, I guess that's about the time you start going like, things were better when I was a kid. Yeah, right? It's like the world isn't the way it used to be. It was so much simpler in the 70s. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because that's easy. He wants to escape. Mm -hmm. I want to watch Star Trek and uh, listen to The Who's Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, so th this is something that we, we've talked a little bit about it. Like the end of the millennium is coming, right? Mm -hmm. And I can't speak for Arianne specifically, but I, I would imagine there was a lot of like introspection at the time, like the you know this this new this chapter of the world is coming to an end, right? And there's a new chapter starting, and people are getting anxious about it, and they're examining their own placement in the world or the state of the world at the time. So, you know, the the year 2000 is coming. Let's think about what's next, right? So, a lot of people were thinking about like, are we are we doing good for the world, right? You know, is the world in a good place? Mm -hmm. Should should be should we be working more towards peace in preserving the wonderful world that we have, or do we need to be scared of what's to come? Right? Yeah, I think you're right. There's definitely a, a heavy theme of that throughout a lot of the art at the time. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. just music, but definitely a lot in music too. But speaking specifically about um, computer rain, 
uh, obviously he's talking about the rise in technology. Let's hear a little bit of those lyrics coming in. Ships are in command. Computer, computer. <laughs> so he's he's surely scared of all of the uh, computers scare him apparently. Yeah. Like I understand he's being like speaking for Ari on the character. Uh, yeah. Seeing he, seeing a world with computers and all that stuff is terrifying. Mm-hmm. I can understand. It's like I don't even I can't even understand comprehend what these devices do or what they are. Right? Yeah. But like. We're getting into the information age and the internet created anxieties in certain people, right? It's a very sci-fi concept where it's like, yeah, all of the world's information is at our fingertips, right? Mm-hmm. How is that going to affect everything? Yeah. Uh, diplomacy and politics and uh, communication and just like basic human interaction. How is that all going to change, right? Are we going to get dehumanized? Yeah. I think probably even the fair, maybe not Arion, but like in general, the fear that status would be moved because like now you don't have to have traveled to a different country to understand stuff, to note like you don't have to be like moneyed to be learned. Yeah. Learned. I'm thinking uh, Metal Gear Solid 2, which is also a very, like there's a lot of Metal Gear energy in this where it's like high concepts, like big ideas, but it's also kind of corny and dumb. You know, how did you work two video game references in here? How did you do that? The, the, the same influences of Arion are the same influences of weird video games. Okay. John Woo? <laughs> Maybe even John, John Woo, Woo is movies. always the answer. John Woo is always the answer. That, I, I can't think of any Kung Fu fights or Gun Kata in, in an Arion album, unfortunately. Okay, Arion, step it up. <laughs> but, um,. The idea of the information age where, you know, all of the world's information is at our fingertips and uh, it's like how basically that game predicted a post-truth future where it's like you can no longer be sure of what is real and what isn't because there's just so much information out there. You're constantly bombarded with information from the Internet that it's hard to know what isn't and isn't true. Mm -hmm. What isn't isn't true because um, the there's no system in place to provide context and framework yeah you know? and if he so, thought it was bad in 1995 yeah so <laughs> i wonder what he thinks about it now and and also I, I like the first verse of that where it's like i see a future cold as ice where love has gone right mm-hmm. computers and reliance on computers make people cold they can these machine men <laughs> this reminded me of uh oh yeah uh, charlie chapman charlie chaplin's the the general whatever the, yeah the, the dick what is that the, the great the great dictator, the great dictator. Where he's talking about how uh, machines and industrialization has made men cold. Yeah. They, they, Do they... not give in to these machine men. Yep. Yeah, even with that, I okay, I had the problem because anytime I see something that starts off cold as ice, I think of Robert Frost's um, poem. But I didn't write that down this time, even though I brought it up anyway. But the second part of that, uh, the first verse, I see a race that pays the price for everything it's done. I wrote a note that says Twitter never forgets. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like you didn't so even a- know. Yeah. It was so like when I watched when I read that, I was like, oh dude, you didn't even know how apropos like 
yeah, you're right. Like everything that's done has a price because delete it, somebody's going to find it. Like, nope. (laughs) And like, it's, it's so crazy. Like all these anxieties about like technology, right? Like I can see like, so uh, uh, a line, like I see shadows of giant machines cast upon the land, right? I put planes. Huh? I put planes. (laughs) I think of like him fearing industrialization, like continued industrialization Mm. of the world, right? Like big factories and blocking out skylines. Yeah, and, and mini malls and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, but like now, like that that was a concern now, but they couldn't even comprehend that the fears of technology would all be in the abstract digital space, right? It's like they have no idea the horrors of Facebook. Mm. You know, and the <laughs> horrors that Facebook will bring upon the land. It's like there's a shadow of Facebook cast upon the land, but it's not a giant machine. It's like I don't know what. Yeah, it is. there's like no uh, one for one analogy for that. Yeah, you you can't. It's just like I this this horrible like non-existent s- thing has ruined a lot of aspects of our life. It's the skyscraper of the mind. Yeah, and like face <laughs> Facebook relationships, like killing real life relationships, mm-hmm. you know, and that kind of thing. It's like yeah, technology has made people cold and cut off from the love in their hearts. I think it's hard because it's like, it's like a double-edged sword, right? Like, yeah, I think that definitely is true, but it's not 100%, right? Like, it's probably 70-30 in which direction, I'm not sure, you know? Because I think about even with the story and how Arion is uh, telling it, right? Like, yes, uh, I'm a minstrel, but I'm also a prophet. I'm telling you about all these things that will come to pass. Like, in saying it, you're going to create some who will listen and some who won't, right? So I think that in the same way, right? Like I use technology. I don't feel like I'm a cold person, you know? But I do know that there are things that like I do have to, if I see, I have to shut down like my emotive side so that I can continue to function. So like, yeah, you know, I think he is right, right? Like I think there are... Even in that line where it says, like, a race that pays a price for everything it's done and saying, like, Twitter never forgets, but neither do we, right? So there are a lot of things that I can, like, point out as as great things that, like, not Facebook because I'm not on Facebook. I hate Facebook. But, like, that um, technology and platform sites have allowed me to do to connect with old friends, new friends, learn new skills and do things. But I also, in those same technology, those same platforms, things that I can't forget that are like horrors and, and things that make me like want to write, like I love TikTok, but there'll be days where I'm scrolling through my feed and I'm like, I need to get off and I'm off for days because like I'm spiraling, (laughs) you know? So I think that it's, it's a, it's a double edged sword. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's funny. Like in 1995, I can't like, it's hard for me to say it's like, was the internet more or less sanitized in 1995 than it is now? You know, in some respects, when I was going, getting into the internet, in like 2007 to 2011, you know, mm-hmm. like that, that end of the 2000s era, that's when I was like really started to get in the internet. Yeah. Like in some respects, like the internet was less sanitized. Mm-hmm. It was like, there were a lot of like off color jokes yeah. and racism and, yeah. you know, just like casual racism and, and just, you know, dumb stuff like that, like shock humor. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, I see less of that now, but maybe that's because I put those walls up. It's yeah. still there in some respects, but a lot of people, like, were resistant to sanitizing their spaces on the internet or whatever, yeah. right? So I can't say what Arian even knew about the internet in 1995, mm-hmm. right? Like, was, was he confronted with, like, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't, 
I feel like the internet nowadays is way more corporate, right? Like I think everything, everywhere you go is owned by something, right? Like, so in that there are for the most part, depending on where you're going, right? Like there are places, there are dark spots in the internet. You just don't type that into the URL. You're fine. Yeah. Um, But I think that for the most part, it's sanitized in that it needs to be, uh, what's that word Lindsay Ellis used? Regulated. Regulated, yeah, but um, man, sellable. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I can't think of what she's monetized. Yeah, you know, like it needs to be something that you are able to, on the grand screen, make money off, and then also not make too many waves, so that your uh, your brand is protected. Yeah, you know. So in that way, I think that it is a lot more sanitized, but it's so rigorously controlled that you can like. There's a reason we say Disney are our overlords they control everything because they do, you know, like there's very little places you can go that you're not like, this is a subsidiary of Disney. Um, And in that, like, yeah, it's like clean, but like you also, what are you paying into and what are you losing in that? Where I think in the early days of the internet, hackers were a thing, but they weren't as like streamlined, sophisticated and like in you know, like you could get hacked and you could get your information, but you are so much more likely to get just any walking to a Starbucks and not turning your internet off, you know? Yeah. And I assume like back then the internet was like much more of a novelty. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, look at this. You got a fan site for a weird thing. Yeah. It was weird website. And, you know, it's actually pretty funny. Uh, for someone who is writing all these songs about being super anxious about uh, the coming millennium and technology and the rise of the digital age, uh, Arian Lucasen is one of the be- has one of the most active presences on the internet for any rock band I've ever seen. The man's websites are thorough. <laughs> like he he has like breakdowns of all his albums. He does interviews and in-depth like making ups for all of his albums. Um, the man has a lot of cool resources on his website. Like if you want to just learn about Arian, like he he makes it super super easy to do that. <laughs> the research for this episode was at Breeze. Well, yeah, because it was just all there. Yeah, you know? it's like all of his old interviews are archived. It's like, yeah, man, he takes care of his his history, which is crazy considering he was terrified of computer chips. But also makes a lot of sense because he's a bard. He yeah. keeps that history. He is that. Yeah. Um, is uh, the the song ends like close to the end? There's a, a, a lyric. I see a planet die in space in a sl- and slowly fade away. I see the end of the human race. There has to be a way. That calls to mind environmentalism, you know, mm-hmm. because I, I think the, the warning of the song is, hey, this rise in technology and industrialization will get worse and worse and the planet's going to die out. It's going to choke the planet. Mm-hmm. Uh, something's got to be done. Yeah. Right. Very environmental. Um, I, I, I dug up an interview that he did with the Dutch rock magazine Ardshock. Ar- he was asked if he had become a, quote, Greenpeace fanatic because <laughs> I looked it up like so. Uh, global warming 
you know, and climate change, like really started to enter the mainstream in the late 80s, right? That's when it really became a concern. There were studies done and like scientists were like, hey, yeah, then maybe this should be a problem, like an issue that we're addressing. That we're addressing. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there might be something to this. And there was instant backlash. <laughs> and I think, I'm not sure. I, I would assume that part of that backlash stems from the 70s and 60s when hippies were a thing, you know, mm-hmm. and hippies were like, we got to save the environment, man. We're going to love each other, right? And, you know, like people wrote off hippies as like dumb idealists, you know, right. who were unintelligent and didn't really have a plan. It's because they had weed. Yeah, they weren't pragmatic and they, you know, they, oh, these, these dumb tree huggers don't have a plan, right? Mm-hmm. So that sentiment carried into the late 80s, early 90s when it's like, you know, Greenpeace activists were a thing, but they were dismissed rather frequently. Uh, and we've seen it in many of our TV shows and that's, movies. That's true. Hillary yep. of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. The, the dumb bimbos in uh, uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, right? Don't call them bimbos. <laughs> They're all vapid uh, Hollywood types that talk about wanting to save the environment but are too dumb or, you know, It's just a talking informed. point. Yeah, they're not informed so they don't know how to fix it. So that's the stereotype. Yeah. So Greenpeace activism seemed kind of like a, I don't know, it was looked down upon yeah. in some circles. So this... Or this this uh, magazine asked him, are you a Greenpeace act- advocate for writing this album? And Lucasin responded, quote, I didn't intend the message as it turned out to be. It's just a fact. Things are going the wrong way in this world. And if that continues, it'll be all, it will all be over soon. It's up to people to change that. But I'm not a fanatic. <laughs> he had to qualify that. Because people are always going to call you fanatic. So I just thought that was interesting. That's pretty interesting. And so yeah, like this album, for all of its weird themes and its like corny concept, like at at its core, it is a, you know, a, a song with a call to action. It's like, hey, let's protect this pretty cool world we live in. Yeah. You know, let's think about ways that we can improve ourselves. You know, and I feel like this block of songs does that. Yeah. Kid, while you're while you're listening to this, go outside and pick up some trash. Throw it away. Yeah. All right. So uh, the, the the last song we're gonna talk about. Is called Arian's Fate. Arian's Fate. It is the last song on the album, and uh, there, there we, I, we're gonna skip over some some plot stuff, but I will give you the the breakdown. Okay, so uh, from from the website it says, jealous of his ability to foresee the future, Merlin, the court's wizard, isn't pleased with Arian's message. Convincing the court that the minstrel must be a fake, Merlin believes it is necessary to silence Arion forever and curses him. So that, that's what happens. That's what's happened in the story <laughs> since then. Merlin straight up walks in and is like, "Hey, this, uh, this, this, this blind minstrel. He's full of it. Let's curse him. Let us get rid of him." And he puts a curse on him, and it means he's gonna like die soon or something, like a death curse. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so the song has three movements. The first movement is called Arion's Fate, which is, you know, named after the actual full song. Uh, and it features two speakers, Arion and Merlin, right? And this is Arion responding to Merlin having put a curse on him. Yes. The flavor text in itself says Arion desperately attempts to convince Merlin of his sincerity, but Merlin won't hear of it as he casts a spell on poor Arion. So let's hear a little bit of that dialogue. Never 
So just like talking to each other like Merlin, don't do this. Arion, I must. <laughs> so um Arion for this movement is played by Dutch singer and voice actor Edward Reekers, lead singer for the Dutch progressive rock band Kayak, which was like a like a progressive rock like they, they were legendary in, in, in Holland in, in the Netherlands from the 70s. So he got a legend in here to, hey. to play Arion. <laughs> Um, so like any, anything you want to pick out of this, this opening movement here? Um, not really. I, I just, for most of the song, just enjoyed the back and forth. Like, yeah, I like there, the, you, you hear it, you get a little bit of character. Um, so Arion tells Merlin, I forgive you, Merlin, for you don't know what you've done. Yeah. What did that remind you of? Jesus. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Jesus moment. Like, that was definitely done on purpose. I, yeah. I have to think that was done on purpose. This is Arion being the Christ-like martyr. Yeah. Uh, who's dying for the sins of these dumb Middle English, you know. Which tracks for Arthurian legends. Um, and uh, so can I talk a little bit about Merlin? Sure. So Merlin... Um, I, I took a, a medieval literature course in college, right? We learned a little bit about Arthur and legend and stuff like that. And uh, Merlin is kind of funny because he was injected into the Arthurian uh, like uh, canon, right? Um, as like you know, like the we all know, like he's the wizard who who uh, either raised Arthur or uh, he was Arthur's like counsel, right? Right? He gave like spiritual guidance to Arthur or whatever, right? Um, Merlin became popular because this was an, obviously this was all written in the in the mid, Middle Ages, like medieval times, right? Like it, it is difficult for information to travel, right? Mm-hmm. When when news happens in Britain or news happens in the Middle East or wherever, right? Let's say news happens in Italy, right? It's it's going to take a while for that news to reach Britain. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know if it, I. I I, I didn't. I should have looked up like the specifics here. But basically, stories were written with uh, knowledge of happenings around the world, right? Like I, a traveling uh, writer may have picked up on some news that happened around the world. Mm-hmm. He then wrote the story where Merlin comes to Arthur and tells him, "King Arthur, this has happened." Yeah. Then when readers read it, they're like, "Oh wow, Merlin predicted this." Then finally, when news hits. That that thing did happen. Like, oh my gosh, Merlin <laughs> predicted it. And that's how Merlin gained notoriety because like the character Merlin was like this prophet who was able uh, to predict events when it was mostly just like, no, this writer just knew about the information before other people did. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Yeah. So that's, that's journalism. <laughs> Merlin was, Merlin has a shady history from the start. Mm. And here he is going to murder this poor, he's, he's, he's. He's accusing this minstrel boy of being a, f- a fraud. <laughs> when he, in fact, is a fraud. Yeah. He's like, no, no, no. There's only room in this town for one of us. Yep. So um, basically the dialogue happens where it, the, the gist is 
Arion's saying, hey, Merlin, please don't do this. And Merlin's like, I got to do this. And he does it. <laughs> hey, hey, Merlin, you know what would be cool if you didn't just murder me? Could you not? Oh, man. I mean, that would be cool, but uh, I already got my wand out. <laughs> <laughs> and and Merlin, Merlin does the deed. And Aaron's like, no, he dies. Right? Do you have flavor text on that? Um, okay, this is the, under the movement Merlin's prophecy. This is what I think of the flavor text is because it's all cap and the rest is not. Uh, Merlin is stricken with grief for he has had a vision that proves Arian to be genuine. Reluctant to pass into eternity as the martyr of mankind, Merlin vows that Arian's word will be spread to the 21st century, sorry, the 20th century, in hope that it will not be too late and that man will heed his premonitions. But the, the implication is he's killed Arian at this point. Yes. Arian's gone. Yep. He failed. He did indeed fail. The baby face failed. Well... <laughs> We so that's what I was saying fight. earlier. It's like, Arion didn't, he didn't get revenge. He, he vowed to like, one day I will rise up. No, no, he just got killed by Merlin. You know, sometimes you just don't get your end, your end game. Yeah. So, it, so Merlin, as you said, Merlin uh, receives the prophecy and he's like, oh crap, what have I done? The first real prophecy he's ever had in his life. Yeah. So anyway, uh, let's hear Merlin's prophecy. Yeah, so um, with with this this movement here, it's basically Merlin being played by all of the guest speakers together. You know, wow. all reprising their roles. So this is like the closing song, right? Mm-hmm. It's the the whole cast is taking a bow by playing Merlin, saying, "Hey, I'm Merlin. I was wrong to kill Arion. He was right all along. <laughs> oh crap! What are we gonna do? I'll just send a message to the 20th century and say, "Hey, Arion was right. We got to put a stop to this." <laughs> Hey, uh, people from the future. Hey, people from the future. Maybe you should have put it in Merlin's head to begin with. He had the ear of the king. Why'd right. you give it to a blonde, a blind minstrel? Like, I, 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 this just adds more, more to the theory that it was random. <laughs> and then uh, the the song ends here. This movement says, "I hope one day that man will understand. It's in his power to change his destiny. I hope one day." He'll do all that he can, and all the nations will be one. Which is a very hippie sentiment. It reminds me of uh, John Lennon. Yeah. Imagine. I can only... That's a different imagine. (laughs) Imagine there's no heaven. Imagine all the people eating with you. (laughs) But that's really the end of the Arion album, where uh, it's like put in the hands of the people of the 20th century. Like It's like, hey, uh, Arion failed but you won't, right? <laughs> Listener of this song. Did they? Because we're in the 21st century. We we, yeah. we weren't sent this message. Uh, we were in the form of 
Arian the Final Experiment, the <laughs> album. I think that's where it gets meta, where it's like Merlin sends out this wave of information. It's like somebody will hear my ply, you know, my plight. Someone will will take this warning and send it to the masses, and maybe the idea is it, it reached the head of Arian Lucasen, <laughs> Anthony, <laughs> and it's like I need to write this album. I need to do this. And he wrote this album. And it's like, I'm the blind minstrel now. <laughs> Will you listen to me? No. We'll listen to Bill Nye, though. Bill Nye. Uh, <laughs> Al Gore. It's like, will they listen to him? Who knows? But it's like, that's that's the end of the song. Where Bernie it's like Sanders? This call to action. Like saying, hey, we got to take care of this planet. Learn from the story of Arion. <laughs> but please don't kill me. Right. And so, and then the song ends at, at the very end, and you hear the voice of Merlin one last time for the epilogue, uh, and he gives everybody some instructions. The outcome of the final experiment has now been placed in your hands. The clock is ticking. So, yep, that, that is the end of The Final Experiment by Arion. Um, like I said, it's uh, it's up to you, the listener of this album, to to do something. Do he- something. Heed the warning of the future. Murder. I think that, to be honest, like the <laughs> the true tragedy is like people still aren't listening. Yeah. So I will say this is kind of a hard album to like get a a bunch of people to hear this specific message, but there the message is in like a lot of different. Yeah, things. yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, sure. This album is weird and not, you know, like it's, it's, it's not for everyone. It's not for everyone, but he's they trying go to Avalon. I definitely admire Mr. Lucasen's like conviction on this. Yeah. It's like he wrote a song that meant a lot to him and he's like, Hey, I want to have like a, you know, a message that people can get behind. Yeah. And he did. Yeah. What are your opinions on the final experiment? It was fine. There was a murder. There was pleading. There was regret. Do you so think, like in all my rock operas. You think it was an effective rock opera? Was it the best rock opera you ever heard? In your life? Yes. It was the best that I have ever heard in my life. Because <laughs> you haven't heard any other one. That is exactly true. It so is, it was also the worst rock opera I have ever heard in my life. So I will say um, it's definitely not the best rock opera I've ever heard in my life. It's definitely not even the best Arion album. <laughs> It's it's not that bad. I think like it's it's got a lot of interesting ideas and uh, it was his first. It was was his first. first, It was his first soiree. Yeah. Yeah, So Um, and I I I think it revealed to me just how deprioritized albums were in the nineties. You know, like people released albums, but like at least for me, the pop music of the time, like popular music in the mainstream, they weren't emphasizing albums. More than as much as just singles. singles. Uh, so for me, it's like this is an album I wanted to hear from start to finish because I was, you know, intrigued by the story that it presented. Mm-hmm. I wasn't. I, there are you're gonna list some runners up. I probably wasn't intrigued by the the whole album as a whole. I like I wasn't intrigued and said, oh, I I want to listen to that album from start to finish. Right. Um. So I, I think that's that's something. You know the the con- the idea of a project uh, concept album right one that's supposed to be actively listened to from start to finish just wasn't a thing really in the 90s so it has a place but it's you know not in the mainstream yeah which makes sense i mean was a time (laughs) would you recommend the final experiment no (laughs) 
Can you think of anyone, like, you know, off the top of your head that you were like, yes, that person would enjoy this? Kane. <laughs> Our weird friends. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I also, I, you know, here's the deal. Like, I, I would not recommend this album as your first Arion album. Um, I would Which say, one would you rock it? I would recommend two. If you want one that's much more grounded and, like, more relatable to everyday life, I would listen to The Human Equation. It tells the story of a man who uh, falls into a coma and he's a troubled man falls into a coma and he has conversations with the emotions in his mind. Did we listen to that one? No, we did not. Okay. And it's a little bit like inside out (laughs) Pixar's inside out, Um, except they're basically he's stuck in the coma and he doesn't know why he's in the coma. Mm -hmm. So his, his emotions are jogging his memory about his life and like Mm -hmm. taking him through important crucial moments in his life to tell him why you were in such a troubled state and why you're in the coma now. Right. And it's, it's, it's a pretty like interesting, grounded, uh, engaging story. Like there's some stinkers as far as songs go, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I want to listen to that from start to finish because I want to know the story. And I would also recommend if you want something a little bit more weird, same with like the weird melding of sci-fi and fantasy, uh, the electric castle, which is the story of a group of like 12 people from across history. Mm-hmm. You got you got like a viking, you got like a knight from King Arthur's court, you got some some people from Egypt, like ancient mm-hmm. Egypt, you got a hippie. <laughs> and they're all transported to the like a realm beyond time by mm-hmm. this ancient entity that says, "Okay, you're all here." Here's your test. You need to like travel this wasteland and get to the electric castle. It's, like, it's ridiculous. Sounds like a Bill and Ted spinoff. But it's, I don't know. It's a lot more fun because all the different characters, ha- they all represent a different type of music. So mm-hmm. like the hippie oh, okay. obviously represents hippie music from the seventies, but right. you know, everyone else has their own like, and all the characters are played by one person, mm. one singer. Okay. So it's, Interesting. Yeah. It's 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 good. People like that one. If you want to give if you want to give rock opera a try, kids. There you go. The 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 human equation, and the electric castle. Electric boogaloo. So how was the final experiment received? The final experiment was a surprise financial success with six thousand copies sold in Holland within the first month of its release. Wow. Yeah. So it was like a surprise to everyone. <laughs> uh, critically, the album has been praised for its musicianship ambition and creativity and it's considered significant by fans and critics for laying the groundwork for Arion's future releases it's like at yeah. the very least it's like hey this one was a success and allowed him to create more of them yeah a progressive rock magazine background called the final experiment quote one of the best dutch prog rock albums ever it's like there's like a point of national pride <laughs> in, in Arion for this it's like yeah this is like a great dutch album this is great it was so great. My dad was able to buy his house back. Hopefully. <laughs> a German magazine Rock Hard called it, quote, a colorful masterpiece of world class that one can listen to a hundred times through headphones at night without one spark of boreness. Mm, okay. However, there were some negative sentiments thrown around at the album's lyrical content. Uh, Sputnik Music said, quote, for some, the music and lyrical content on the final experiment might come across as cheesy or forced. But hey, if you want sensitive music and deep poetic lyrics, go listen to Dylan, (laughs) Bob Dylan. Um, The final experiment was named Album of the Month and Album of the Year by Ardshock Magazine, the Dutch rock magazine. All right. And it was named in the Mord list 
a poll of prominent Dutch music critics that at the time was dominated by alternative releases. So it was like Arian had a, a pl- Arian had a place at the table of like the best like Dutch albums at the time. Okay, so, good job, Arian. Good job, Arian. You worked hard for this, and you received good tidings. And let's talk about its legacy. In 2004, Arian Lucasen moved to a new record label, Inside Out, leading to reissues of all of the previous Arian releases, including The Final Experiment. That reissue included a bonus CD featuring nine reworked recordings of tracks or segments of tracks found on the original album with different singers and all acoustic instrumentation. So that is still out there if you want to check that out. And where did Arian go from here? Well, strong sales in Holland and internationally helped Lucasen secure funding for a follow-up album, but that is a story for a different day. (sighs) (laughs) And with that, we're going to close out this segment with the song Merlin's Will off of the final experiment. And uh, we're going to see you on the other side with an equally big album. Equally big. Another rock opera. I bet you guys didn't think that I would listen to it. (laughs) Hi all, I have great news for all you vinyl lovers. Now, I know it took about 20 years to get this done, but we are finally releasing the first two Arion albums, The Final Experiment, on my left, your right, and Actual Fantasy, on vinyl. The Final Experiment comes in a 3LP hardcover box, and Actual Fantasy Revisited in a 4LP hardcover box. Both come with extras, like a signed postcard. So I'd say, check it out, and if you see what you like, pre-order your copy now. Thank you. Coming back with uh, Michael Jackson's Too Bad. He's back. Back again. He's back. Back again. <laughs> and, and Michael, is this is this Michael number three? Bad, dangerous, yes. Yep. No, this Michael is, number this three. This is Michael's three, three boot. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think he's the only... No, Dream Theater. It's like Dream Theater, Guns N' Roses, and, and Michael have all been three beats. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is Too Bad. This is the Shaq song. Shaquille O'Neal no, raps. Michael Jackson. Shaquille O'Neal raps on this song. Uh, <laughs> he does a, he does an incredible job. He's a great rapper. No, he's not. <laughs> great basketball player. Not a good singer. Not a good rapper. Not a good. How actor. is he as a wrestler? Uh, not not very good. <laughs> Cody had to carry him. <laughs> That's a lot of man to carry. Yeah. Anyway, so um, that is from Jess's album, 1995, released. November 20th, 1995, an ambitious double album of material, old and new, the ninth solo record of the King of Pop, that is, history, past, present, and future, book one. Woo! 
that's quite a title. Yeah. Um, so, Jess, why is this your album? Because it's Michael Jackson. It's same answer as all the other Jacksons. Yes. Your mom? Yes. She liked it. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, do you remember this song, like this album as much as the other ones? No, absolutely not. Because by 95, I was, uh, how old was I? Six. Yeah, I wasn't listening to my own music. I don't know. I think by 95, I was, nope, wasn't into reading. I don't know. Like, I just don't remember this one as fault. I think it's also because like my mom doesn't necessarily play things off of this album as much. I don't think anyone does. It's like there, yeah. are, like there are like good songs in this album and like noteworthy ones and like songs that were singles and big hits. But like, I've already talked about like my history with Michael Jackson and like how I got in, you know, what I listened to first and how I got into it and stuff like that. Like, this album is like completely independent of all those things. Like he died, and like none of these songs were played on VH1 or the radio yeah. or anything like that. A tribute, you know, it was all the hits. Yeah, from Thriller and Bad and Dangerous. And there were no hits from this one. Like, not ones that I saw on any of those platforms. So, like, really the only song from this album that, like, I knew about really before, like, we went into this for this project was uh, a song we're going to talk about a little later. And I'll explain why that song was one that I was like, oh, yeah, that's a good song. I will put that on my iPod. Yeah. But we'll talk about that a little later. So, yeah, let's, I guess we're going to jump into this album then. Hey. Okay, um, so... Our... Let's talk about my favorite song on the album. Okay, it's not my favorite song. We gotta song. talk about the history of the album first. Oh, that's fine. So, like, as we talked about in our 1991 music episode, Michael Jackson continued to maintain his dominance of pop music with the release of the album Dangerous and the resulting world tour. Mm. Uh, we talked about that. Yeah. I like that. that w- one of the best albums we've ever listened to <laughs> media made. Um, however, in late 1993, health issues, a painkiller addiction, and certain... Other high-profile controversies forced Michael Jackson to cancel the remainder of the Dangerous Tour. That sucks. Yeah. Uh, we're not going to get too much into detail with those other controversies. Uh, it's just not the place for the show, I guess. Mm-hmm. Really. So, yeah. Let's just say he was having a, a rough time. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot, of, a lot of different issues, and Michael had to basically, like, pull out of the entertainment side of things for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that's when, like, the... The, the poor wacko Jacko, like... Thing, like, was really picking up. Yeah, like, reinforced, really, because he was always, like... You know, as we've talked about, he was a target of the media mm-hmm. since the 80s, yeah. right? Um, and he all, he was already writing songs about how much he hated it. But now it's like, oh, yeah, maybe he is really a weirdo. Like, look at... We've proven it. It's horrible. Michael Jackson married Lisa Marie Presley in May 94. Um, a move met expectedly with media scrutiny... Uh, people said, oh, it's not real. Uh, it's, it's a marriage of convenience. Marriage is still a marriage, even if it's convenient. They're not really in love. Like Not, he, sorry. Okay. And like they had the weird kiss at the, the video music awards or whatever. Okay, but let's be honest, right? If we had to be at an awards and we kissed, we would be super awkward about it. We yeah. don't kiss in public. Like, yeah, that's but just the fact that they did it, it all seemed weird because it seemed like she wasn't expecting it. They said it wasn't going to last. <laughs> Stop it. So that's what it sounded. That's what he said. Uh, they they separated December 95. Let's see. On. Made it more than a year. Yeah. Uh, Jackson entered the studio to record his next album in September 94. Uh, the idea of a greatest hits collection with a handful of new songs uh, had been thrown around since 1989 before even Dangerous. The result was History 
Past, Present, and Future, Book 1, comprising of two discs. History Begins, which was a Great Assist compilation, and History Continues, comprising of all new material, and uh, which I think is a very weird concept. I mean, we just listened to rock opera. With a, it, it, Two very weird concepts in this episode. <laughs> I feel like that's going to be in the, the episode description. The the- oh, wow. Big concepts, 1995. Concepts we don't conceptually see. Uh, Jackson co-wrote and co-produced a majority of the new songs alongside a laundry list of guest writers and producers, including Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Jimmy Jam's not a real person. <laughs> Dallas Austin, the Notorious B.I.G., Bruce Sweden, R. Kelly, Renee Moore, David Foster, and Bill Bottrell. Isn't David Foster an actor? I don't know. Maybe a different David Foster. Uh, the recording wrapped in March 95, with the recording process only lasting six months. A notably quick turnaround for Michael Jackson. Yeah, the perfectionist that he was. Yeah, he just they just got this out. But he had been like not working for a little bit. That's and true. Maybe he didn't he was have like, a marriage to focus on. He was probably writing material in his mm-hmm. his dark days, I guess, in 93, 94. It's fair. Yeah. So that is surprisingly swiftly the yeah. the history of Michael Jackson's That's history. Quick. History of history. <laughs> The short history of history. Yep, so we're going to jump in to our first song, which you said was your first, your favorite? Well, it's not my favorite because uh, I definitely have one that's my favorite. But like upon re-listening to it or like listening to it the first round that we did, I was like, oh, I really enjoy this song. I was like, oh, it's the one that gets stuck in my this head. One, yeah, same with me. Like this was the one that stuck the most when we listened to it together for yeah. sure. It's like, I don't know. This was like the, the, the bright spot from the album. But that mm-hmm. song is They Don't Care About Us. They don't really care about us. It is very different. Like you hear the, the tribal beats. What do you? What is that? Drums. Just drums, like doing this beatboxing thing, and then Michael's gonna start singing here in a second. already over here like bopping and dancing and but yeah it's very chant like yeah like an anthem yeah yeah i was even like i had written down that like the verse portions uh the beat is i like i love it i really like like the beat right even when you read it like you automatic skinhead deadhead everybody's gone it's just one of those things that you just pop your head to right yeah it's 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 very interesting song and so, like, I want to, before we talk about the lyrical content, I, I, I do want to say that, like, something I appreciate of the song is, like, how s- slowly, but, like, methodically it builds on itself. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it starts out pretty slow with, like, very basic, stripped down, like, drums or, like, your, your beat. Yeah. Because it sounds digital to me. It's like a digital beat. It's percussion yeah. still. Yeah, percussion and Michael, right? Yeah. And it's just, like, there's a little bit of reverb in there, but it's just, like... You know, Michael doing his chant, and then slowly elements are introduced to the song. It's very progressive in that way. Yeah, like yeah, Progressive yeah. music, which I like. 
So, you know, by the the end of the second, it's almost like every every minute a new element is introduced, right? Mm-hmm. So at minute two, synthesizers are introduced. It sounds like this. You hear the keyboard in the background mm-hmm. very slowly. And you love you some synth. I do. You got di- you got some harmonies in the di- back. Digital choir, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, like, after another minute or so, like the song once again adds another layer, and this one is like very pronounced. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, at the three-minute mark, we get this. Freaking Slash, <laughs> the guitarist from Guns N' Roses. Is he credited? He is. I was like, or did you just like, oh, that sounds like the fingers of Slash. Well, you can tell that's Slash. Like, yeah, that's definitely a Slash sound. It's the same sound you hear on Black and White. And then you get this, like, that crazy, like, keyboard stuff that you heard in uh, Speed Demon. Yeah. Speed uh, Demon! I don't remember that song. <laughs> so, yeah, like, musically, it's really unique yeah for, for for michael for michael yeah like i've never heard anything like this before from michael it's like it's almost like he's introducing like, like you heard it in jam where like a lot of the percussion and sound effects were like just sounds yeah like pots yeah. slamming against each other or, like trash cans or bottles breaking. ambient yeah um, there's a little bit of that in this you want to talk about the lyrics yeah i think um it opens really strongly like we heard the kids uh, sing, chanting, but um, it it opening with the line, all I want to say is they don't really care about us. Who's who's they? They. They don't care about us. They don't care who's us. Us. <laughs> it's an important question to ask. So I think like, I, I just wrote down strong open, open because it's really interesting to start it off because the song is they don't care about us, but the line, the lyric is all I want to say is they don't really care about us. Yeah. Um. So everything else is just, is like, you're asking me why, but, and I will give you my reasons. Like, well, why do you think that? How come you believe that's the truth? Yes. But bottom line, no matter what you say, yeah, but think about this. All I want to say is they don't really care about us. You know? So I think that like that, and then having it in a chorus of children is a very strong choice. Yeah. And I just... Yeah. Michael loves the children. Michael does. And um, I think that, especially when he wants to talk about issues, you know, like bigger issues, he goes one or two ways. Either like children are, are uh, singing or speaking the lyrics or there's a choir. Uh, yeah. There's a gospel choir. Like that's how you know when he wants to like make a point. So you know he's serious. It's like, hey, the gospel choir is singing. This is this is a, a matter of life and death. Your salvation's at stake. Right. And if the children are, it's like, this is our future. Hey, guys, don't think about yourself. Yes. Think about what this is, how this is uh, moving forward in generations. And I think lyrically, right, when we get past that, it just gets very aggressive, yes, <laughs> you know, yes. in being like fed up because nobody you're like, you're saying like nobody cares. And so the, the verses that are like, 
those popular, those like very distinct beat chant ones, like, chant like yeah. ones, skinhead, deadhead, everybody's gone dead situation, aggravation, everybody allegation in the suite on the news, everybody dog food, bang, bang, shock dead, everybody's gone mad. And then the next portion, beat me, hate me, you can never break me, will me, thrill me, you can never kill me. Um, but like all of these things just kind of like stuff, it feels like things that like I've tried to talk politely about, but now I'm just using those like trigger words. What is the word? That's not make sense. You know, I, I just like charged words. Yeah. That like to make someone like, oh, well, well, we don't say that in polite conversation. Well, we are going to say it because you're not listening to polite conversation. Right. Kind of thing. And, and so I think Michael wrote these my, Michael wrote these lyrics as like an anthem for the marginalized. Yeah. Right. That, it's very clear. That's that's what he's doing. It's like, hey, the, the people who are beat down, the people who are um, being displaced or uh, insulted mm -hmm. or beaten, like, yeah, the world doesn't care about us. They, you know, whoever they are, the people yeah. in power, the, you know, the, the oppressors, they don't care about us. But you know what? We're here and we're going to fight. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's good because, right, like the reframe that is between all of these like hard edge, like pop buzzwords that's the word these hard edge buzzwords all is just the refrain all i want to say is they don't really care about us they don't care what we have to say they're already turning their backs and not listening unless we're using this coarse crude language yeah and so speaking of coarse crude language uh there is a particular verse in the song that caused quite a controversy and i think unfortunately cloud like you know kind of like muddied the waters you know of what it was trying to say yeah the like made message. it too, it basically gave ammunition to the people who were like quick to like dismiss the song anyway uh and that is the i'm not gonna say these words uh like the especially the derogatory ones but he says jew me sue me everybody do me kick me derogatory Dero word derogatory word for a jewish person me don't you black or white me all i have to say is that they don't really care about us right so at 105 it sounds like this Right, so in the now official versions of the songs, those words are censored, just yeah. cut out. You can't hear them anymore, right? Mm -hmm. So what happened was, at the time, like people were like, the song's anti-Semitic. Use an anti-Semitic term, right? Mm -hmm. uh, there's anti-Semitic uh, sentiments in this song. And Michael obviously responded like, no, that's not true. He said, quote, the idea that these lyrics could be deemed objectionable is extremely hurtful to me and misleading. The song, in fact, is about the pain and prejudice and hate and is a way to draw attention to social and political problems. I am the voice of the accused and the attacked. I am the voice of everyone. I am the skinhead. I am the Jew. I am the black man. I am the white man. I am not the one who is attacking. It is about the injustices of young people and how the system can wrongfully accuse them. I am angry and outraged that I could be so mis misinterpreted. Right. Mm -hmm. So I understand where he's coming from. And I understand like he's trying to be. In inclusory. Yeah. And I don't know. He's trying to make a statement. Yeah. I also understand they're like, yeah, Michael, it didn't work. Yeah. So like I've heard, I was reading some different like media uh, critics and they were saying like, we understand the intention, but the problem is that the fact that the song could be misconstrued so easily mm -hmm. means that it wasn't effective. Yeah. And I think, okay. I, I will mm, I will say like you said I don't know that it's like easily 
mis- I think some of the people were just looking for it and they're all like, yep, all of us think this because we want to like tear him down. But I will say, right, like you can't use words that don't belong to you. Yeah. You know, kind yeah. of thing. Like if this was a song and freaking Malclamore was singing a song and he used the N word in it because he was like, I want to talk about how we're all oppressed. I'd be like, you're not, that's not, no. <laughs> you know, kind of thing. Like I, I get what you tried to do, but no. So I think in the same way, it's like, I get it. Not your word, bro. Yeah, and another thing is, so he, I, I was reading, it's like, well, Mike, Michael like defended himself. He's like, you know, the notorious B.I.G. used the N word in one of my songs here on this album. You know, that was that wasn't an issue. It's like, yeah, but th- that's his word. Yeah. So I understand what they're talking about. And uh, in response to the controversy, Michael promised that all future copies of the album would include an apology and concluded, quote, I just want you all to know how strongly I am committed to tolerance, peace and love. And I apologize to anyone who might have been hurt. And as I just showed, those lyrics were replaced with either sound effects that like censored the words. And I think in some versions, the lyrics were completely changed to do me and strike me instead. Okay. Yeah. So do me, sue me, everybody do me, <laughs> kick me, strike me. Don't you black or white me? Yeah. It's, it's, I, I feel it, like it saves a certain yeah. purpose. Yeah, it does. Right. Like it's like the, it, the right in writing, right. Uh, I've got that belief that you don't, for me as a writer, don't use cuss words unless they're earned, you know? Yeah. I don't particularly like, care for casual um, cursing because it's just kind of, then it's just there and it doesn't really mean anything, right? So in the same place, like if this could be so easily, not so easily replaced, but like you can still have the same meaning and still be for everyone in the, in the sense that you wanted to without yeah. using these words that obviously he didn't think would affect people like it did, but it did. Right. Yeah. Well, another thing he, he identifies being as like, you know, he identifies skinheads in the, in the album as mm-hmm. like members of the oppressed. Mm-hmm. Maybe this is me just going back to like historical skinheads of like the late seventies in, yeah. in Britain where it's like, no, they're just neo fascists. Yeah. Neo Nazis. I wouldn't consider those people, uh, oppressed. But yeah. I'm, but I'm, I'm like trying to like, I'm trying to give Michael the benefit of the doubt. I think maybe he's thinking of like punks of the nineties. Mm-hmm. You know, those we talked about like delinquency in the nineties, right, right? right? It's like young people who are like, you know, out on their own, uh, don't have a home. Um, and like, yeah, there was a big punk punk subculture and Michael was living in LA at the time. Maybe he saw the young gutter punk subculture of like young kids who were shaving their heads or had like, you know, big, uh, spiky, right? Like mullet or mullets, but uh, mohawks and yeah. stuff like that. Maybe he, maybe that's who he was talking about mm-hmm. when he heard skinhead. So I don't know. Yeah, I think isn't this is a question for you that you may cut. Isn't like currently skinheads? Isn't it a there's a like branch of like people who are like no, yeah, we're skinheads, but like equality for everyone and love and da da da. If that's the case then maybe that's who he's thinking about. Yeah, like, not the, I, because I do know there are some that are like, nah, we're not. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, skinhead used to be neo-Nazi. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's, I feel like it used to be that way. Yeah. So I don't know if it's changed or not, but. Yeah. I don't think Michael was saying, yeah, I, I, yeah. I stand up for the racists and the neo-Nazis. I don't think he's saying that either. No. Um, something he is talking about in this song is uh, the topic of police brutality. Yeah. Like the lyric that I wrote down specifically was, tell me what has become of my life. 
I have a wife and two children who love me. I'm a victim of police brutality. I'm tired of being the victim of hate. You're raping, of, you're raping me of my pride, oh for God's sake. I look to heaven to fulfill its prophecy, set me free. Like very powerful. It's like, ooh, he's talking about real issues. Yeah, I that was actually the uh, verse that made me think of a different song by uh, Trevor Jackson. Yeah, Trevor Jackson called "Colors on the Ground." Uh, that particular verse made me think of the second verse of that song. That is very so. It made me think of it, and I, I just wanted to bring it up because um, those two songs are like twenty years, maybe thirty between them. Yeah, 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 and. It hasn't changed, right? In the second verse of the song, it talks very specifically of the shooting. And, uh, you know, I don't have my dates. I try to not be here. But the uh, shooting of the man in his car with his girlfriend and his two-year-old daughter in the backseat. And that's what the verse is about. And that, like, things don't change, right? Like, And so, again, the refrain comes back up in this. All I want to say is they don't really care about us. Like, it doesn't matter. If I have kids, it doesn't matter if my kids are right here with me. It doesn't matter if I am following the law. It doesn't matter about any of these things because I will, you know, like they don't really care. They don't really care. Yeah. I, so this was a very like important, potent political topic at the time because uh, we didn't talk about like 92, but like the race riots in LA mm -hmm. had happened then. Um, the beating of Rodney King in the street by police, uh, just yeah. like, you know, like it was in the forefront. It was in the minds of everyone at the time. And I can understand Michael. Like, obviously, he hasn't released an album since 91. You mm -hmm. know, so I'm sure these things were on his mind. These are things that he wanted to touch on in his music. Yeah. So now is the time. And, like, he's going for it. Like, hey, these are issues in the world. Like, we've seen it. We've seen just, like, the ways that human beings debase each other. Mm -hmm. and, 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 like, hurt one another with hate or indifference or whatever. And it's just, like, I'm angry yeah. about it. I need to sing about it, you know, and I, like we need to talk about this. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting because this is a call to action the same way like the entirety or even more uh, specifically the last song that we talked about in Ariane is like this. Um, hey, everything's changing. Like we can see it very clearly like that. This is spiraling. Like, what are we going to do about it? It's your turn. And in Ariane's is this hopeful like, hey, it's your turn like to do something, like yeah. to make a change, to enforce something different. And Michael's here like, nope, still here. Let's be loud about it. Yeah. It reminds me of a quote by Tupac that I heard once where they asked him like, why do you, why is your music so aggressive? Or like, why is it so forceful? Right. You know, like why, why are you, why is it this way? Right. And he's like, and it kind of reminds me of the progression of Michael's music and his like humanitarian songs and the songs that have like a message that he's trying to get across. Like tu the way Tupac says, it, he's like, you know, for, for so many years, it's like, we were like standing at the door, like waiting to be invited in. It's like, Hey, we're out here. Uh, you know, we're singing like, we're singing like happy pop songs about like, Hey, we just want peace and love. And you know, we just want to be invited in. We all want to be come together. That kind of thing. Right. And it's like, nothing happened and it got worse and, and you know, nothing changed. And then it's just like, 
Okay, now we're yelling from outside the door. It's like, hey, we want to be let in. Got to get a little louder. Let's do it. You know, people kept saying, oh, you got to sing your way in. You got to sing your way in. And it's like, nothing changed. It didn't work. I was like, fine, I'm going to bust down that door and go in. I'm going to rap my way in. Mm. And that was his, I think that was the quote. It's like, you got to rap your way in. It's like, you just got to force your way in. I feel like Michael, in his life, like we've, we've listened to Man at the Mirror, Man in the Mirror, right? Mm-hmm. A way, it's similar topics, different approach. Yeah. Uh, so throughout the last 10 years or so, Michael is like, basically, he's like, I'm going to sing my way in. I'm going to try to sing my way in. I'm going to get a little louder. I'm going to get a little louder. Fine. I'm just going to break myself. You know, I'm going to yeah. wrap myself in. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's apropos. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple of things, though, like black man, blackmail, throw a brother in jail. Yes, that's still a thing. Tell me what has become of my rights. Am I invisible because you ignore me? Your proclamation promised me free liberty. Now I'm tired of being the victim of shame. And I just... Uh, but the line that hit the hardest for me in the song <laughs> was, I can't believe this is the land from which I come. feel that yeah like there's a lot of times i know that we have talks about just kind of everything that we see in the news everything we see just even in our some of our day-to-day interactions and things that we've done in our you know that i can just sit here and be like you know i've said i don't know if i said this on mic before but i'm i'd like say quite often i was like racism's everywhere can we move to somewhere that there's racism and free healthcare? like <laughs> it's it's, you can't Overwhelming. escape it. Overwhelming. My, my, Michael's plight is a, a universal plight. Like that, you know, it's like, that's the frustrating part. You know, it's like, this stuff exists everywhere, but it's like, yeah, like for us, it's like, yeah, this this is in our home. Yeah. And it, and, and, and it's, I know it is everywhere, right? But I see it more clearly here because this is yeah. where I'm here, where I'm from. This is where I see more news from. Um, because like, this is our atmosphere, our culture and stuff. And it's, it's so hard some days when you get news of things that Cong- or that Congress or the Supreme Court have like decided on or willfully not decided on yeah. or anything like, and you're just, okay. Like, because there's no other, like it does you know, at that point it's just kind of like, what's the point of me speaking up? What's the point of me saying anything? Yeah. Because I'm going to be ignored and pushed down, right? Like, yeah. and I, I feel that as a woman, I feel that as a black person, but I know that like, I also feel it as just a middle American, right? Like, I think that you feel that in a lot of ways, too. So yep. it's just... This song reminds me a lot of This Is America by mm. Charles Kingdom. I'm sure he pulled some uh, inspiration. Oh, I believe but... it. Yeah. <laughs> that uh, song. Anything else on the lyrics? Uh, which Martin Luther is he talking about? Does he bring up Martin Luther? <laughs> yeah. Some things in this life... Uh, some things in life they don't want to see... But if Martin Luther was living, he wouldn't let this be. No, no. Is he talking about (gasps) Dr. King or is he talking about the Protestant Martin Luther? (laughs) I think both would be like, yeah, I don't like what I see here. For both, different both, reasons. <laughs> both stood up against issues in their time. Yeah. And they took a stand. Yeah. 
and they would be like, no, 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 no. So, but yeah, yeah. That's all about yeah. the song, other than it's just it's just a good song. Yeah. So you got a you got a song with strong lyrical contents on like police brutality and uh, marginalization and uh, you know power to minorities. Mm. Um, let's say you wanted to write a music video or film a music video for this song. What film director would you hire to do that for you? Why none other than Spike John Lee? John Woo. Oh. <laughs> Not John Woo. <laughs> John Woo is always the answer. That would have been a very fun music video. But uh, no, he hired Spike Lee. So uh, the music video for They Don't Care About Us is a Spike Lee joint. Mm -hmm. uh, director Spike Lee, he did Do the Right Thing and... Uh, other things. Many other things. He, he, recently he did Black Klansman. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he was nominated for an Oscar for that. Um, he is a, like, a great filmmaker. Like, great writer, great director. Like, he has things to say. So it's like, I feel like the energy of this song is the energy of Spike Lee. Like, mm -hmm. he's perfect to do a music video for this song. Yeah. So, not only did he direct a music video for this song, he directed two of them. Oh, I didn't realize he did both. He did both. There are two music videos for completely different. Entirely different music videos for They Don't Care About Us. They are both directed by Spike Lee. Um, and I think I think they tell different stories. So we're going mm -hmm. uh, to talk about them for a little bit. The first one was dubbed the prison video. Okay. It is. As you would suspect, in a prison. Yeah, it's set in a prison. Michael Jackson is in his cell. Um, you know, and sometimes he's at the mess hall with mm -hmm. the other inmates. And like he's trying to start like a, I don't know if he's trying to start a prison riot, but he's trying to get the chant going and all the, the inmates are like chanting, like, they don't really care about us. Yeah. And Michael's like dancing in his, uh, his jail cell. Like, you know, is he tearing out the walls and stuff? No, just, the walls are blue. <laughs> they're just, he's just dancing. Um, there's a lot of use of uh green screen, yeah. chroma key, which I thought was like, where was the money at? <laughs> <laughs> like I, the, the other music video was filmed on film. It didn't seem like this one was filmed mm -hmm. with, with film, but it, 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 that's neither here nor there. Um, the prison video is also intercut, it, very similar to like Man in the Mirror or something, right? Mm -hmm. With like archive footage of police attacking African-Americans, including the Rodney King film. Right. Uh, military crackdown of the protest in Tiananmen Square, mm -hmm. you know, with the tank. Yeah. Uh, the Ku Klux Klan, war crimes, genocide, execution, martial law, and other human rights abuses. So, yeah. like, it's a very striking music video because it's showing all these, like, horrific images. I'm mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh. And Spike Lee does not shy away from such things. Like, he's like, nope, we're going to put this in the video. And we're going to scare people. And we're going to get people riled up. Yeah. Because that's what I do. Because that's what I do. I do it well. I think it is a good video. Like, it tells a good story. Um, but also, it's a little cheap. <laughs> Yeah, I think since he was doing two and the other one is shot on location, he was like, where is the money going to go? Because the other one has a lot more extras that need to be paid. Speaking of that second video, the second video was titled The Brazil Video. Yes. And there's continuity between the videos. We yeah. discovered that. So at the end of the uh, prison video, Michael seems to have escaped prison. He's now running through the streets of Rio de Janeiro. Yep. And that's where the second video takes place. It mm -hmm. takes place... In um, Rio de Janeiro, yep. on the streets in Brazil. It takes place in Salvador and Rio de Janeiro of Brazil. So um, I was reading about, and you want to describe that video for us? Um, It's a community video. <laughs> it's a video where like, I not parade, rally. I feel like it's a rally video where like 
there are just people in the streets and there are, are instruments like bands and people like all the drumming you hear is done like live. You yeah, see. it's all it's a lot of diegetic music, too, in addition to the backing tracks. Yeah. And it's just Michael in the streets singing um, with the people around him also like joining in. At one point, a woman glomps him. Yeah, <laughs> I don't like, know that that was that was that was real. Like <laughs> a, 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 a woman, nope. a woman dancing in the street with him just like ran past the authorities, the Brazilian authorities, and tackled him to the ground, like you know, trying to hug him because she's like just so overwhelmed with emotion <laughs> that she had to be pulled away. Yeah, by Spike Lee. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A cameo by Spike Lee in the video. Um, so I was reading about the making of that video, but it's like producing the Brazil video proved difficult as state authorities tried to ban the singer from filming on location. Officials in the state of Rio feared images of poverty may affect tourism and accused Michael Jackson of, of exploiting the poor. Mm. A judge even banned all filming, but this ruling was overruled by an injunction. So it was difficult to make it happen. I think it's, a, it's an, an affecting and effective video because... Um, it has a hopeful tone. Yeah, this it's one like, does have a hopeful tone. Yeah, because like compared to the, obviously the prison video is like very like shocking, mm -hmm. you know, showing all these like very scary images of like real life brutality. Um, whereas the Brazil video, it's like yeah, he's depicting poverty, but it's almost it's almost like a community coming together and like celebrating together with Michael. Yeah, like, to say like no no, yeah we're oppressed, yeah we're like beaten down, but. We still have each other. Yeah. Like we we can, if we band together, do something more and not be stuck here. Yeah. So it's almost like a movement. That's mm. why I was like, it seems like a very much like a rally or a, like a, an anthem. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I liked that video. I liked more. it too. Um, and in 2020, Spike Lee put together a third music video for They Don't Care About Us that incorporates mm. pieces of both the Brazil and the prison versions. We didn't watch that. As well as footage from various Black Lives Matter protests that had occurred around the world at that time. I would like to see that. I, I saw that the I saw that yesterday when I was doing my research, and it is quite an affecting video. Yeah, I bet. And it is very much a Spike Lee driven Joy. video. It's like, yeah, Spike Lee, like that's what he would do. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, it's it's perfect. And like, I'm he, gonna watch that once this is done. Yeah. The um. I'm adding it to my playlist for this month. Both the prison version and this this new version here that he made in 2020 feature like an, a disclaimer at the beginning of the video. Both this new like the new video features the same quote. So I'm mm -hmm. going to read that out loud. It said this film is not degrading to any one race, but pictorializes the injustices of all mankind. May God grant us peace throughout the world. And that is attributed to Michael Jackson. Mm. And I was like, that is very good. <laughs> I think he's probably something that he had to do since, say, since all the people jumped on the song. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was saying. It's a, it's a shame like, that I it had... I want to make sure that my shame. messages go. Yeah, it's a shame that that had controversy, you know, because I think it, it clouds the actual meaning of the song. Yeah. So, very good song. Very good song. <laughs> very good I enjoy song. that. Uh, let's move on to a different song of a very different subject matter, but it, it's equally... It's equally it's heavy. Equal. <laughs> it's, okay. It's heavy in a different way. Okay. And that song's called DS. Not Nintendo DS. Oh, dear. DS. Get out.
So uh, DS, that is quite a groove. It's a fun sounding song, right? Divorced yeah. from its lyrics, you don't know what this song's about. You're just like, yeah, yeah, this is a jam. Yeah, <laughs> you're so cute. I will like a, a quick. Uh, this is another song that features Slash of Guns mm-hmm. N' Roses. Just want to point that out there before I uh, get into what this <laughs> song is about. So. I'm going to discuss some topics that may be uh, relate back to Michael Jackson's controversies of 1993. If you feel like you don't want to hear about that controversy, I would suggest skipping ahead to two hours, 18 minutes, three seconds, uh, and and just skip the song altogether because uh, <laughs> I we didn't want to talk about it, but Michael wrote a song about it, so we have to talk about it. We didn't have to. I could have chosen a different song. Okay, so um, let me play the... Uh, I would have, but you really wanted to talk about it. Let's talk about the... Let me, I'm going to play the chorus from this song, okay? Sounds like this. What he said there was, you know, he really tried to take me down by surprise. I bet he missioned with the CIA. He don't do half what he say. Dom Sheldon is a cold man. Dom Sheldon is a cold man. And he repeats that over and over again, right? Who is Dom Sheldon? My lyrics say it's Ton Schneiden. That's incorrect. The, the lyrics are Dom Sheldon because this is not confirmed by any Michael Jackson. You know, Michael Jackson didn't confirm this, but... The lyrics have been interpreted as a reference to former Santa Barbara County District Attorney Thomas W. Schneiden Jr., or simply Tom Schneiden. Who's he? Uh, Tom Sch- and, and and you hear that because like Tom Sheldon is a cold. I mean, he doesn't sound like he's even saying Sheldon. Yeah, it sounds like he's saying Schneiden. Mm-hmm. Like he's just straight up saying it, just to prove. Her- Prove the point even more. Let me play another version of that. Um, let me play another version of that chorus where it sounds like because Dom Schneiden, right? It's mm-hmm. it's a character. Like the song is a the the subject of this song is a character named Dom S. Sheldon, right? Uh huh. And I guess the 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 interpretation is when you say Dom S. Sheldon really quickly, it sounds like Thomas Schneiden. So I'm gonna play a port there where he says like Dom S. Sheldon is a cold man. Right there. Yeah. Right. Thomas Sheldon is a cold, but he's, he just sounds like Thomas Schneiden is a cold yeah. man. Yeah. So who is Tom Schneiden? Okay. There's another point in the lyrics where he says, uh, Michael says, he out in every single way. He'll stop at nothing just to get his political say. He think he bad because he's BSTA. That's what the official lyrics say. Mm-hmm. But people say when he says BSTA really quickly, it just sounds like SBDA. Santa Barbara oh. District Attorney. So Tom Schneiden led the investigation into Jackson following the 1993 accusations of child sexual abuse against him. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. He was the guy in charge. Okay. Um, so again, Michael wrote this song specifically about that terrible time in his life. Yeah. And it's like, he invited this discussion. Right. Right. As part of the investigation, Jackson's home in Neverland Ranch was raided, searched by police, and Jackson was subjected to a strip search of his body, which he said in interviews was highly invasive and like he hated, like he was like, it was the like most humiliating thing in my life, right? To have to undress in front of police officers and be like, I don't know. Searched. Inspected, yeah. That, I think that was like the biggest resentment for him. He's like, yeah, this Tom Schneiden guy instructed his men to do this to me. Yeah. When, you know, he was pleading innocence. Yeah. Jackson was not charged and the police closed their investigation citing lack of evidence. Just got to point that out there. That's the official end of that. And Jackson settled with the accuser's family out of court in January 1994. So that's the end of that story. But this is totally just a hate song. It's a hit song on this guy that uh, wronged him. Yeah. Yeah. Anything about the lyrics that jumped out to you uh i i wanted to know what bsta and just to i i now get he wants your vote just to remain the ta i put a question mark there but it's da i get it i think like lyrically it's like he wrote him down he wrote ta to like cover his butt you know it's like it's not it's not about you it's about dom sheldon who wants to remain the teacher's assistant yeah (laughs) um i will say the line the the verse that has that in it, I, I would just put as an old boy, because it says, you think you think he brothered with the KKK? I know his mother never taught him the right way. He wants your vote just to remain the DA. He don't do half of what he say. And I was like, yeah. okay, come from a family then. <laughs> Michael is like just angry, throwing mud at this guy. Yeah, yeah. like <laughs> I wrote that too. He's like, I bet he brother with the the, the KKK. I was like, ooh, so that, that would get you in legal trouble if you said that. Yeah, might maybe you know defamation perhaps. That's why it's not Thomas Sheldon. It's Dom Schneider. Yeah, you know what it reminds me of? There was a so there was a Two Life Crew song. Remember Two Life Crew? Two Life Crew was a band that they were they were a rap group. In late 80s, early 90s, and they wrote songs uh, that were very explicit, sexually explicit lyrics, right? Like very filthy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were charged. They were charged with obscenity, like officially. Mm-hmm. Like I think it was a, a Florida, like court or something, charged them with obscenity, which is something that you you don't normally get charged for with music, right? Right. Uh, so they, they said, yes, your, your lyrics are obscene and, you know, you, you should be uh, put in jail for these obscene lyrics or whatever, right? The guy that put the, the I think it was the governor who, like, pushed for the, the charges, right? And his last name was Martinez. So they wrote a song after they, they, they were freed from, you know, they, they, they succeeded in their lawsuit, right? They came out victorious. They wrote a song after that just called F. Martinez, 
and the chorus is just like repeating like F Martinez, FF Martinez, right? They were able to claim that the song was not about the governor Martinez because they got multiple like laymen with the same name to sign releases saying that yes, it was it's okay for me. it's about me. <laughs> So it's just like they circumvented uh, defamation charges by saying, no, the song is about a different Martinez. <laughs> Dom Schneiden sounds similar. Yeah. Dom Sheldon. Like getting away with it because it's barely legal. Yeah. So Michael Michael's angry. He's, he's, he's willing to press the envelope on this one. Yeah. Call this man a member of the KKK. He wasn't taught right with his mom. He didn't say member of the KKK. Saying his brother was... Mm. And his mom taught him no good sense. Yeah. Uh, Thomas Schneden's bio on his website currently states that he is the, quote, only DA in the nation to have an angry song written about him by pop megastar Michael Jackson. He took it with pride. Okay. Sure. Uh, and the antagonist mayor character in Michael Jackson's short film Ghosts, who was played by Michael Jackson himself in heavy makeup and prosthetics, was intentionally made to look like Thomas Schnitt. Wow. This was a grudge that Michael held yeah. on for years. Yeah. <laughs> there was no coming back for that. <laughs> yep. And so, like, I, I there's just a bunch of weird legacy stuff with this song where, like, fans took this song and made it, like, an angry, like, song that's meant to, like, target anyone who accuses Michael of wrongdoing. Huh. Uh, DS was sung by Jackson fans outside the courthouse during the singer's 2005 criminal trial, mm. for example, um, in which Tom Schneiden was the lead prosecutor oh once again. Gosh. So they, they met in the, the courtroom once again. <laughs> and just outside, just walking, Tom is a cold man. <laughs> As he's like walking into the courthouse, like, Tom Schneiden, you're a cold man. Oh, man. Um, and this one is also weird. Um, in 2018, a fan remix titled Wade Robson is a Cold Man was written in response to new allegations by Australian dancer and choreographer Wade Robson, who was subject of the who was a subject in the 2019 documentary Leaving, Leaving, Leaving Neverland. I don't want to talk too much about that. No. Uh, if you care, to, you could watch that for yourself. But let's just say Michael Jackson fans decided to respond to those allegations by writing a just a remix called Wade Robson is a Cold Man. Well, it's weird. It's yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts on DS? I feel like I just no. I was like that. This is when people say history is Michael Jackson's like most personal album. This is a song you can point to. And it's like yep, he's writing about the issues in his life. Yeah, the things that confronted him at the time. And it's like yep. When you think about Michael Jackson in the mid '90s, what was he dealing with? He was dealing with sleep paralysis. <laughs> he was dealing with these. Uh, you know, allegations. criminal allegations and he is writing songs about them and how it made him feel let's move on okay the next song we're gonna talk about is a song jess is a huge fan of Ugh. it's called stranger in moscow
really like this song a lot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you do. Just musically, it's such a pretty song. I love the the the. It's it's low key. It has like a nice like film esque backing melody. You know, it's just synths kind of just like lifting Michael away as he sings an emotional song about how he's feeling that day <laughs> or whatever. But you don't like it. No, not really. So um, I wanted to challenge you. We can talk music for a second. We'll talk lyrics. But like, we 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 had a conversation, and I think this song proved we proved that like discussing like Michael Jackson songs that you're not a fan of is difficult, right? I think it leads to friction. Michael's just Michael has that effect on people. He's very passionate. I don't know. (laughs) You're the passionate one. I'm the passionate one. (laughs) But I challenge you. I wanted you to because you when you described this song to me, you called it what boring. And I said, what makes it boring? I was just curious. Like, I was like, can you challenge yourself to say, like, what is it about this particular song that makes it boring? Or what makes a boring song? And I didn't do that homework because I had a hard week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so off the top of my head, it just is. Like, I don't necessarily have uh, a criteria for it, right? I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty middle-of-the-road person, uh, I'm not very interesting. I'm boring <laughs> when you get to know me. So it, I don't feel deeply about stuff that I just like. So I, it's boring. I just don't care. The melody is fine. It's whatever. But I'm going to forget it as soon as the song is over. The lyrics say nothing <laughs> um, and have no continuity other than repeating how does it feel. And that to me is boring. It just it is. And it's not. It doesn't, you, you, there's no way for you to relate to it? I don't know that it's like, really, because there are songs that I like that I don't relate to, and I like because, oh, that was a really great note, or, oh, it was, you know, it's just, it just does not literally nothing for me. It just doesn't do anything for me. And I'm not saying it's a bad song, like, obviously you like it, and obviously there are a lot of people who do like it, it's just boring, and I don't, I don't really have much to say about it. Yeah, I, so, you said the lyrics don't mean anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, allow me to present my. Good. I asked you when we were listening yeah, to pres- it. I was, was good. I did some research. I looked at it. I said, okay. I, I tried to put myself in Michael's shoes. I was like, Michael, what are you trying to say? Okay. So I looked it up. My, uh, Stranger in Moscow was written by Michael Jackson in September 1993. Went on the dangerous world tour stop in Moscow. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this song was written in Moscow. Michael Jackson was the stranger in Moscow. Got okay? it. It's, the lyrics are based on a poem that he wrote at that time. Okay. So there are a few things. like So I, I picked out some lyrics here. So I was a stranger in the rain, mask of life feeling insane. Swift and sudden fall from grace. Sunny days seem far away. Okay. Michael Jackson, you have to understand where he, what he was going through in 1993. You got your allegations, your health problems, your several different things, right? He's, I think, putting words to the emotions that he's feeling. In 1993. Mm-hmm. Feeling insane, right? He's been called insane for over a decade. Yeah. So that's probably weighing on him. Swift and sudden fall from grace. He was the king of pop. Mm-hmm. And now these allegations have people questioning his everything. Right, you know, his, right. His, his role, his uh, position, all that stuff, right? Sunny, day, sunny days seem far away. It's a very childish line. Eh, whatever. That's fine. Uh, you know, not particularly deep but one could say michael jackson is sad mm-hmm. <laughs> so michael jackson is sad <laughs> <laughs> so when you say the lyrics like don't mean anything i think that it's like 
they clearly mean something about his emotional state. The question is how effective is he at presenting those mm -hmm. ideas? And you're saying like he's not effective. No. Not at least not to to me. I feel like in the same way, um, why you got a trip on me says this is saying those same things. Like maybe the mind state is a little different. It's less depressive and more like angry or agitated. Yeah. But like I like I I guess the melody in there does it for me more. I think or the mood is something. Different. The mood is different. I don't have anything against like sad or depressed songs. I typically prefer them, but the presentation here does like I was like I don't I don't know what you're talking about, <laughs> and I nothing in this makes me care enough to like dig. So let's move to the next song, kind of thing. Yeah. So like for me, like you you mentioned why you want to trip on me, which is from Dangerous and ninety one, mm -hmm. right? So I feel like. It is the same emotions fueling both, but like why you want to trip on me was more confrontational. Yeah. Whereas this was more like contemplative and like it's all about isolation, feeling right. isolated and lonely, mm -hmm. right? Um, you hear stories about Michael Jackson, like um, he he would like walk the lonely streets at night looking for friends because mm -hmm. he felt so lonely and yeah. isolated. He's like, yeah, he was a megastar and everyone knew his name and who he was, but he didn't feel close to anybody, right? So the, the, the imagery that he talks about with Stranger in Moscow is like, I was walking, I was wandering alone in the rain, right? That calls to mind an image of Michael Jackson walking alone in the street at night, just looking for someone to connect to and just finding nobody and just feeling more isolated than he's ever felt. He's in a new place, like a foreign place, um, unfamiliar place. Uh, I think it has a little bit too much John Myung in it. <laughs> of of Dream Theater. It's undeveloped. So like, I'm like, okay, I can see that as you're talking to me, but there's not enough here for me to have like, got because like some of the lyrics are also like, Kremlin shadow belittling me, Stalin's tomb won't let me. I was like, when did the Cold War end? I had to like look because I was like, what are we, what are we talking about? What I'm lonely because Stalin's not here anymore. <laughs> like it's it's like one of those things. I wrote a poem. Cool. Workshop that before you put it to music. That's fair. Let me play that clip of of him talking about the uh, the using the Russian imagery, and then I'll talk about it. So um, the way I interpret that is he's using Russian imagery and symbolism to underscore senses of fear and isolation. Okay. Okay. Now the Cold War has ended in mm -hmm. 1995. It's over. Ended. Been, been done. Yeah. The fall of the Soviet Union was happening late 80s, early 90s. Okay. Uh, so the the Cold War is over, but I think the anxieties that were produced during the Cold War exist on. Right. Mm -hmm. you, the, I've talked about a little bit of like uh, people I know who uh, lived through that time talked about like, yeah, it was a unique type of anxiety knowing that at any point in time, Russia could launch a nuke at you and just kill everybody. Mm -hmm. it, it was like scary. Um, and, and like Russia was like this boogeyman, right? The Soviet Union was like this weird boogeyman for a lot of people, right? And so I think what Michael is trying to do is use the imagery of the Kremlin Stalin's tomb, the KGB, to like emphasize the feelings of isolation and uh, pressure 
you know, in fear, right? Because mm-hmm. during the Cold War, people were scared of those images, right? right? Michael isn't necessarily, like, literally scared of the Kremlin and the KGB. Well, <laughs> the KGB were dogging me. <laughs> um, I don't think he's literally scared of those things, but he's using the fear of those things that I'm sure still existed in 1995 to reflect his own fear of, like, everything. The unknown, uh, you know, his own loneliness, mm-hmm. right? It's just like... You're, you know, people are scared of these other foreign forces beyond their understanding. I'm, I have a similar anxiety, but it's more internal. Yeah. It's it's something, because the layman's not going to understand or relate to Michael Jackson's feelings of isolation as being the hot, you know, the, the biggest superstar in the world, but not feeling like you're close to anybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, I can't, I can't necessarily put myself in those shoes. I and I'm not not saying that like like oh you're wrong and all those things right like it's there and you've you've pulled it and you've presented it to me um and those are interesting themes and topics I still find the presentation of this song like boring and un you know un like because I think it as much as you're saying right like it would it's hard for him to present what is it it's hard for him to try to like say, hey, I know I seem like I have a lot going on, but I'm really like, it's really hard for me. And I guess like 1995, the internet is what it is. We've just talked about it. And it's still like showing the big disparity between celebrities and the laymen, even though really celebrities are just laymen with money. Yeah, you he, know, like human beings, just like all of yeah, us. Yeah, so we all have those feelings. Cause I think like, even as you're saying, like, it's about like feeling alone. It's like, I've, freaking feel that like that's that's not unique to him that's a very uh real shared experience with um between everyone in the human race right and not and not saying like this isn't a unique song michael but it just kind of like you don't i like the how it's presented is doesn't uh, it doesn't work for you no it doesn't it just doesn't it just doesn't and even like as you're just like okay that's sad. I wish you had better people in your life that like would make you feel more comforted. But this song doesn't do it for me, which is fine. Yeah, and I'm not. I'm not like saying sometimes you're wrong. you just got to do a song for you. You know, like. Yeah. So I appreciate your perspective on this. <laughs> the lack of perspective. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the music video because uh, the song also had a music video, and I think you were uh, equally unenthused about it. So unenthused. <laughs> the music video was the worst part because I couldn't even hear the lyrics. Like, which is why I pulled up the lyrics. Because- yeah. Oh, speaking of that, we didn't even talk about that. So. You 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 made that complaint to me. When we were watching the music videos. Like mm-hmm. all these, like I, I can't understand what he's saying. Yeah, the mixing is terrible. Like the music is higher. The, like the instrumentals are higher than his voice. So I are louder than his voice. So I can't hear what he's saying clearly at all. And I said that is a unique problem in Michael Jackson's later albums because I had the same problem with Dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right? It's like I love Dangerous. I thought those songs were great. But when I like listen to it in my car, yeah, his voice is mixed lower than a lot of the, yeah. the percussion and the, the the instruments. Yeah, which I think is a problem, and I can only speculate. But I think that he wanted it that way. It was his choice because he so Quincy Jones and Michael, like Quincy Jones was like his longtime producer. Mm-hmm. They parted ways after Bad. Yeah. So Dangerous and History are like Michael solo productions, mm-hmm. right? I want to think that Quincy Jones was there to like help, you know, like 
fine tune the production and be like, no, no, Michael, your voice needs to be turned up a little louder. Mm-hmm. You know, and he was he had that authority to say that. Whereas yeah. now Michael gets to make that choice and he's like, nope, I want my voice to be lower. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't know why. Why? He would make, <laughs> maybe he's to make people listen real hard. I guess I, I don't know the answer, but yeah, that is a problem in Michael's later releases where yeah. it's like, Michael, turn yourself up. Sir, we can't hear you. I agree. That, that is a problem. I definitely agree with that. Um, but let's talk about this music video. The music video was directed by photographer Nick Brandt. And it presents like six lonely people. And it's like little vignettes of all these people living in the same city. And they're all lonely. And it looks like it's like a lot of wayward shots of like them looking off into the distance. And mm-hmm. just like there's like a woman sitting in a diner all by herself. She's drinking coffee. And she's just like looking out the window. Michael's walking the street alone. Uh, and there's like a homeless man who's like laying on the street, like, you know, reaching out for people, but no one's paying any money mind. Yeah. And I, I think the point of the music video, it's like, these are all six lonely people and they're all feeling the exact same things that Michael feels. Sadness, isolation, loneliness. Right. But, and I think the tragedy of the music video, it's like, they're all feeling lonely, but they all don't realize it's like, you all could just come together and meet each other right now. Yeah. Over me. <laughs> Come together. That's another song that Michael sang on this album. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. that was the video. From I, what I remember, it I was think black and a, white. It was in black and white, very film-like. Noir. Almost. Yeah. There were pigeons. There were some weird digital pigeons. Mm-hmm. Green screen. Yeah. But my point is, I think the music video is effective, in my opinion, because um, it does present... This loneliness is not unique to Michael. Mm-hmm. It applies to everybody. Um, and yeah, Michael is one key part of the music video, but it relates to a bunch of different other characters. And I don't know. It just presents loneliness in a way that I can relate to and understand. Yeah. But not you. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was just too distracted by how annoyed I was that I was like, the music video was just like, okay, whatever. Well, let me change. Uh, let me change topics here for a second. Did you know? That's the instrumental portion of Stranger in Moscow is based on music that Michael Jackson and his team wrote for the 1994 video game Sonic the Hedgehog 3. I did know that, so you don't have to talk anymore about it. (laughs) I'm going to talk about it for the (laughs) listeners. So the Sonic the Hedgehog and Michael Jackson involvement was like subject to weird rumor and innuendo for decades. Mm. Okay, The full story hadn't come out until just like the last five years when people really dug in, asked the the key people for the right facts because there was a lot of he said, she said stuff. There was conflicting reports. And it was just like, did Michael Jackson write on Sonic the Hedgehog 3 or not? Okay. Mm-hmm. And people like, there was the rumor that he did. And then it's like, well, no, then he didn't. Right. It's like Michael Jackson. Yeah. He wrote on Sonic the Hedgehog 3. And then it's like, no, he didn't. Well, what's true. Right. And then people listened to songs from Sonic 3 and were like, I don't know. That kind of sounds like a Michael Jackson jam. (laughs) Let me give you an example. So I'm going to play the credits theme to Sonic the Hedgehog 3. Sounds like this. So people hear that and they're like, that sounds like Stranger in Moscow. Like the chord production, chord progression of the the notes of the 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 melody they're like that sounds like the backing parts to stranger in moscow and just to really hammer at home i've got myself a remix from youtube 
uh, by Yuzo Boy, who mixed them together. And okay. here's what it sounds like. subtle you know but they match up the song they 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 do you want to know how little i care about this song what when you started playing it i thought it was the sonic part <laughs> at the very beginning and then more electronic beats came out i was like oh that was stranger in moscow that's how little i care i've already forgotten what it sounds like and we're still having this conversation continue <laughs> So they do meld very nicely together. So people are like, did Michael write the Sonic the Hedgehog three credits music and then reuse it for Stranger in Moscow? So there's like, and there were no answers for, for decades, right? For Only like, questions. Yeah. For like 15 years they're like, so did he write it or not? Where's the story? And then you hear like ice cap zone from Sonic three. And you're like, that sounds like a Michael Jackson tune. What's going on? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, jam, there's a song that sounds like jam. It's, there's a lot of stuff like that. Right. And they're just like, what's going on? So a lot of great like investigative reporters have <laughs> gone in and, and done the, the, the hard work and they talk to the right people and they ask the right questions. Here's the, the story to the best of my ability. Give me the scoop. Michael Jackson, mm -hmm. a fan of the Sonic series. Mm -hmm. like, he loves Sonic the Hedgehog. He loves video games. Uh, he also worked with Sega to make Moonwalker, the video game. Right. Uh, he was brought in by Sega to compose music for the game in 1993. Okay. That is not disputed. Uh, there were members of the Sonic team here in North America that said, yes, we, we brought Michael in to come view Sonic 2 when it was, you know, being developed. And like, people were like, you know, just to show it to him because he was such a big Sonic fan. Mm -hmm. Like he, you know, toured the studio and, and had some fun. And then someone said, it would be great if you could write some music for the next Sonic game. And he seemed very enthusiastic about it. So Michael Jackson employed a team of his regular collaborators, including his musical director and key and torque keyboardist, Brad Buxer for the project. So Michael brought in his A-team to help him with the Sonic project. Okay. Reportedly, the team worked for four weeks, developing, developing fully fledged tracks with extensive samples of Michael Jackson beatboxing. So to be simplified and compressed for the Sega Genesis. Cool. Right, for use in Sonic 3. All those songs were submitted in mid-1993 to the Sonic team, okay? And here's where the contradictions start, okay? While Buxer is credited in Sonic 3, right? Michael's musical director. Right. He's credited in the music. Michael Jackson is not. Mm -hmm. And people are like, why not? If he wrote the songs, why is he not credited? And there are conflicting reports on why that's the case. One story said that Jackson's involvement was downplayed purposely by Sega in the final game due to the 1993 allegations. Mm. Others say that Jackson requested that he be uncredited because he was unhappy with how the Sega Genesis sounded and how it replicated his music. Mm. Brad Buxer, the guy who worked with Michael Jackson, said the latter case. Mm -hmm. Michael heard his songs, played out of a Genesis, and was like, it's not up to my standards. No, thank you. Um, so yes, so Michael Jackson did write music for Sonic the Hedgehog ah. 3 and Stranger in Moscow, as confirmed by Brad Buxer, the early version of Stranger in Moscow was the credit themes for Sonic the Hedgehog. 
Okay. He was like, well, I have these musics. I yep. can still use them. Exactly. And so basically they're like, hey, we wrote these really great chord progressions for the Sonic game. Let's reuse that for Stranger in Moscow. Yeah. And that's how it happened. Oh, Sonic trivia. <laughs> Stop trying to backdoor this. And we're going to close out our show here with the last song. Jess, is, it, this, is this your favorite song? Like, off of this album, yeah? Yeah. Favorite song off this album. It is Earth Song. Like I talked about um, Stranger Moscow being a pretty song. Mm-hmm. This is an equally pretty song. The song is very pretty. Very pretty. Like it has that film score sound in the mm-hmm. back there. It's like very dramatic. Yeah. I love it. This yeah. is a great song. It is a great song. I agree. <laughs> I can be enthusiastic about this song and share it with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> let's talk, let's, what is this song about? The Earth. <laughs> environmentalism? It is about environmentalism. Um, it's about the things that we are not taking care of on the planet that we live in. Do you, would you consider Michael Jackson a Greenpeace fanatic? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. Unapologetic. He wouldn't Unapologetic. Even, he wouldn't even defend himself. Mm-mm. He's like, yes, I always wear a piece of green on me. <laughs> and this is not the first environmental song that we talked about for no. Media Made. Like, Man in the Mirror, mm-hmm. it fits this bill. Um, there's, we didn't talk about it for Dangerous, but um, not We Are the, he did We Are the World, which yeah. also fit, but that was before. Um, we did talk about some environmental nature on Heal the World. Mm. Yeah, we didn't talk about Heal the World when we talked about Dangerous, but yeah. that was another song where it's like deals with the exact same yeah. topics here. Right, like, right. He's got some like repeating themes on, on albums, right? Like he does have like environmental songs. He also has uh, Paparazzi Be Chasing Me songs. Yep. <laughs> um, and, and a... Can we please pay attention to Black Lives songs? <laughs> it's got a very, yeah, he has a very like. Formulaic. No, no, it's not, no, it's, it's not it's that. Not, it's, it's not, not that. that. But he does, he has things that are important to him. Yeah. That he touches on multiple times. I totally get that. Who among us don't, right? I feel like I always hit this, right? The reason we talk about the this, those songs in each Michael Jackson episode is because those are also important to me. Yeah. Um. So like. I really, I, I don't have a whole lot of like lyrics that I pointed. I, I I have a few because I feel like the song is very explicit about what it's talking about. Yeah. Right. It's like, it, there's no ambiguity. It's like, nope. hey, 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 the, the world is dying and we need to fix it. Like right now. Right. I'm sure Michael Jackson was paying attention to the uh, climate news of the time. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I, I like the, some of the song even sounds like hope. I don't know. It sounds like hopeless or like bewilderment right he's yeah just, what have we done to the world what have look what we've done and what do we keep doing like, what about all the peace that you pledged to your only son yeah and he and he gets like like we said earlier right like he has two forms of like making a point and this is the gospel one yeah. like i don't know that uh he actually has gospel like singers back him up he in does. this one. He, does. he does okay let me let me uh, on that note let me tell you the the two like Musically, this song has like two very like distinct movements. It's like almost three of them, but right, mm-hmm. like I'm gonna play right here. It is the best drop in Michael Jackson's career. 
right? Like the music just like straight up, just like you're just like Builds I'm and in ready it. For it. Yeah, yeah, it's like a crescendo. Yeah, that always gets the deep nod. It's the one in Man in the Mirror is also very good, mm. but I, I think this one's more powerful. Yeah, that's why, like, honestly, of the of his like, um, please save the world songs. This is my favorite. This one hits the hardest. It does. It just does. <laughs> like, and even like the movements as you get farther. Like, I'm just reading the lyrics and I'm reading them in his screaming tone. Yeah. So because um, at at, at about four minutes in. Like you, the choir comes in and it becomes the the same like gospel stuff that we've heard before. Like, will you be there? Like he introduced the gospel taint, yeah, like, sound right. And I feel like Michael grew up. I think his mom was a Jehovah's Witness, but I'm sure he has a strong Baptist background as well. You know, like, mm. I, I think it's just where he grew up. Um, I feel like with those songs, it's like, hey, when the gospel choir comes in, that's for like for a large group of people. That means like, take this seriously. Yeah. Get emotionally invested in this part of the song. Yeah. Because that's the thing about gospel. It's like so participatory. Yeah, I agree. And I I think like it's really interesting to be said because in his other songs, the gospel is like singing words of exaltation. This one is wailing. Yeah. Like the gospel there is there to wail as if the god himself is wailing for the state of the earth the state of this gift that he's given to us and that we have torn apart and continue to tear apart yeah let's hear this choir about us what about apathy <laughs> so uh the choir call and response chant in the climax of the song was sung by andre crouch's choir they have a wikipedia article <laughs> uh. andre crouch's choir. i think it's the same choir that's saying in will you be there will you this great, great choir i would have reused them too any other lyrics you want to point out for the song i think yeah, I think like the lyrically, right? There are places. So at the very beginning, I'd like highlighted uh, two couplets from the first stanza, the first couple stanzas. Uh, what about all the things that you said we were to gain? And then following that, what about all the things you said were yours and mine? And then later down, just a little bit, what about all the dreams you said were yours and mine? And um, these like kind of things, these questions that are posed to this you, right, are, I think, tell a, a small little story, right? The first one, what about the, all the things you said we were to gain? Like, hey, we're in this and I agree to do this with you. What about the things that you said that we were going to, that we're gonna be positive, that me and you were gonna come out on top, that we were going to be able to? And it's not a me and you, I think it's like uh, you and us as the world, us as humanity. What about the things you said that in moving forward in this industrial situation, uh, industrial- Industrialization? Thank you. This industrialization um, 
how it was going to help us, how we were going to be able to do more for sciences, help more people, yeah. help poverty, help these things. And the second part is, uh, what about all the things you said were yours and mine? Okay, failing that, that we were to gain. Um, if we started like separating ways, fine, but like in this grand scheme of things where all of us were to prosper, where are the things that we talked about that we're going to go to you for prospering, we're going to go to us for prospering. Like, yeah. What about all of these things? And then the last part, what about all the dreams you said were yours and mine? And this, I, I wrote a note that says, when you realize you were a pawn and not a partner. Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. And it just feels very like, ah. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, it's, it's really quite interesting. It's, almost, it's a little miracle that both of the albums that we talked about today deal with these topics, right? Yeah. Because the song doesn't just cover environmentalism. It also talks about like the, the, the scars of war and poverty, and, you know, the other humanitarian efforts that Michael Jackson was involved in. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, that's the same thing freaking Ariel was thinking about. Yeah. You know, it's like, this is a global issue. And yeah. a lot of creatives were worried about this kind of stuff. Yeah. And like, I think like it's coming out of the, the, the 80s where like there was a lot of like hopefulness. You know, I talked about it, like a lot of 80s optimism, mm -hmm. right? The 80s optimism turned into like- Dad guilt. <laughs> <laughs> dad guilt and, and, and cynicism. Yeah. It's like, Michael is almost like cynical in this song. Like he is still hopeful and is still mm -hmm. like fired up and, and passionate. But at yeah. the same time, he's just like, what about everything we talked about? Like what's happened? Yeah. You know, it's almost like we sang about this a decade ago mm -hmm. with um, We Are the World. Yeah. That's almost like this is a this is a, a come down from We Are the World. It's like, yeah. it's like, hey. Remember We Are The World? Remember when the whole music industry all came together for Live Aid to raise money for the, um, you know, for, for starving children in Africa? We mm -hmm. all, we, it was like a unified effort. We, we were all on board. The government was involved. People bought the single. Everyone was, everyone was gung-ho about this issue. What happened? Yeah. Where'd everyone go? Yeah. Why are we not caring now? So me being who I am, like would follow this song and the track listed with they don't really care about us. Oh. <laughs> so, you know, where you're just like, it, it's just like that, that hopefulness. And then that like, guys, come on. And then that realization of, oh, this is why it's not moving forward. <laughs> gotta get, you got to get angry. Cause you just got to get, you got to wrap your way in. Yeah. Um, and even in this, like, there are, like, a couple other things that I want to say about, like, lyrically. I know it's, like, the song is very in your face. You're just not very, like, you're not pulling from it. I just want to highlight, or you're not, I'm not breaking it down like we had to do Moscow. But I just would like to highlight things that are just, like, yeah, that. Um, and there was a couple of verses. One, uh, like, the third verse. Did you ever stop to notice all the blood we shed before? Did you ever stop to notice this crying earth, these weeping shores. Um, and I wrote like, seeing the price of the deal that you made um, to have more, right? Like, did we, did we like, as we are um, expanding our territory, did we notice all the blood that we shed? As we are um, bringing uh, monetary value to our country by building new things and, and making, I'm, farming for oil and all these things did, like, we, is, did is, we notice that like our shores are weeping that our earth is our like in our trek to get these things that you said we were to gain did we notice what we were destroying it's almost like 
is do the benefits of tearing down the rainforest outweigh the uh the 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 horror like the horrors of the fact that we're destroying the environment yeah like in that this next like thing is exactly what i that word it's like when uh when the world have we done look at what we've done what about all the peace that you pledged your only son and my note here is when you get to the end and you're finally able to determine if the means were truly justified yeah <laughs> I was like, man, Michael, you're saying you're saying what we're all thinking. <laughs> you are, and then it just at the end, I just just wrote some strong words. The heavens are falling down. I can't even breathe. What about apathy? What about forest trails burnt despite our pleas? It's like a long list. What about the Holy Land torn apart by creed? There's like a bunch of stuff yeah, that I'm missing. Yeah, he just keeps I'm going and going around. and going and going. He just like, oh, it's like the thing where it's just kind of like, no, I'm going to enumerate the things that you've not been thinking about. Yeah, the things that are like, and it's just. And that's the part that really has me. I'm always like almost on my knees for the song rocking. Just what about everything? Like you just want to scream with him because there's so many things I feel like in our own lives. Like there are time, times where like things are happening. I'm like, but what about, but what about this? You know? So yep. I think that this is why the song is like my favorite on this album. It's my favorite of his call to action songs because I feel like it really does like make you stop and think like that's the action like stop and think about it for yep, a second yep. because if you truly think about it you wouldn't stand still so there is a music video for earth song also directed by nick brandt the guy who did stranger in moscow okay but before we talk about it i want to highlight one more lyric that i thought was interesting it's it's at the beginning where he's just like what about flowering fields is there a time right i, I was like the flowery fields line seems so childlike to me mm-hmm. like michael's appealing to like one the child and everybody right it's like if we don't do anything now, like there will be no flowery fields for us to like yeah. frolic through, right? Yeah. That's, that's a very Michael Jackson thing. It's like, you know, true. We can't have a picnic <laughs> out in the fields if this if continues. If the bees are dead, right? <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, like, another common theme throughout this album that we we really don't talk about all that much, but like how Michael Jackson was robbed of a childhood. Yeah. There's a whole song about it. It's called Childhood, and it's the theme song to Free Willy too. We didn't like it. We did not. That song's horrible. <laughs> But sorry, Michael. Yeah, the 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 subject matter makes sense and is you know valid for what he's going through. It's like he's like, hey, if you think I'm weird, you have to understand, I was never given a childhood. Mm-hmm. The reason I have a the reason I have a Ferris wheel in my backyard is because I was robbed of my childhood. My childhood was taken from me. Yeah. Um. So when I see the lyrics like, "What about flowering fields?" Like he's almost like saying like, "Hey, if we don't do something now." Every childhood will be robbed. It's like no one will have a childhood anymore. It's like you're going to kill people's childhoods and mm-hmm. like that the wonderment of the world. Yeah. Yeah. So I was like, man, Michael, props to you. What about yesterday? Um, so the music video, uh, we did watch that and it's a really cool, great music video. Yep. It's really well done. It's pre- it's basically presenting four different like geographic regions, mm-hmm. all responding to like Mike. The, I don't. It's almost like the, the energy of the song, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like kind of quiet and somber at the beginning, you know, at the beginning of the song. And it, the four regions are the African rainforest, of which a large part was destroyed just one week after the video's completion. Ooh. Um, a war zone in Croatia, mm-hmm. Tasmania and warwick new york so it's sort of like you know four diverse areas in the world yeah and they're all dealing with the similar thing it's like they're being threatened by the movement of industrialization or of war or of hunger and famine all that stuff right and michael it it all starts out as like it sets the scene 
Michael is singing his sad moments, and then like t as the song ramps up towards the end, the Earth is like taking the power back. Yeah. The Earth is fighting back as Michael is like just like screaming, and the choir is yeah. going, and winds are whipping and reversing the the movement of time. Trees are being unfelled. Um, tanks are being pushed back. Yeah, and like Michael is like like grabbing onto the roots of trees. It is like you know like mm -hmm. it's almost like Michael's like emotions are like willing the world to like reverse itself. Yeah, and there's like you know tremors and and, and earthquakes. And the earth is like trying to heal itself. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, it's a beautiful video. Great video. There's some imagery in it that's like terrifying. Or not terrifying, but like really sad. Like when you're like, what about this scene? There's like images of like people cutting down trees, but also like hunting animals and- Like Willie. Yeah, well, I was specifically the sea, the sea baby thing in the head. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, which you don't really see. Like they cut it before. Yeah, there's like- They see, but it's like a lot of like, imagery that's just kind of like what about it you know like giving a moment of time to these things that he's yeah pressed about speaking of the tank because like the, the croatia part with the tanks like you know wars rolling through croatia and mm -hmm. stuff um that relates back to like uh performances that michael has done for this song which are actually really cool like i feel like whenever he does earth song he always like brings in a lot of theatrics mm -hmm. to the song because it means so much to him yeah um, there is a version of, there's a performance of Earth Song where he straight up brought a tank in. And a tank is like, basically, uh, I think the song slows down and like Michael invites like children to like hold his hands. Mm -hmm. Like, and they're all like creating a chain of humanity like across the stage and they're all singing together mm -hmm. and holding it. And then a tank rolls through and it's got like run over everybody and the kids run away. And Michael steps in front of the tank and like tries to put a stop to it. And Michael, through his. Uh, empathy or whatever. Captain Planet. He moves the soldiers in the tank to get out of the tank and stand with them. Uh, <laughs> it's like, it's on the nose, but I was like, eh, it's fine. It's yeah. a Michael Jackson <laughs> performance. Let him have it. It's pretty cool. That does sound pretty cool. The song is really cool. It is a great song. Um, this was the last song Michael Jackson ever performed as he was rehearsing it on June 24th, 2009, Hours before his death. Mm. So this is, it, it is apropos that we talk about this yeah. song as the last song that we talk about for Michael Jackson and Mini Made. Mm -hmm. Because this is our last Michael Jackson album. Yeah. That is, sad. that's history, past, present, and future book one. Would you recommend it? Yes, 100%. Well, yes. Just I, listen through it. I would, I would too. I think it's, it's an okay, like, it's not Michael's best album. It's, it's not, not as good as Dangerous. It's not as good as Bad. It's not as good as Thriller. It has half good songs on it. Mm -hmm. The second half is definitely weaker. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of like, what is this? Yes, There's, but it has have Earth Song. Yeah, Earth Song. It has like, like childhood and little Susie and smile. And it's just like, Michael, this is not good. Yeah, it's not his best work, but it does have one of the best. Yeah, songs it has. It, it has. So. It has a handful of like excellent songs. So yeah. I would recommend it because it's it's still pretty good. Yeah. But how did how did it get received by the critics? History, Past, Present, and Future Book One debuted at number one on the Billboard 200 and the top R&B hip-hop albums chart, selling over 391,000 copies in the first week alone. By the end of 1985, the album sold more than 1.9 million units, which was actually lower than expectations, but still pretty high because it's Michael. Yeah. <laughs> 
Overall, history has sold over 20 million copies worldwide, making it the best-selling multiple-disc release in history. That, that tracks. Uh, history received overall positive reception, but one more subdued than previous releases. AllMusic, for example, noted that the album's top-performing singles were, quote, well-crafted pop that ranks with his best material, but concludes that, quote, nevertheless, history continues, stands out as his weakest album since the mid-70s. And they're talking specifically about the second half of this. Because remember, this was a double album. And the first disc contained nothing but the hits. Oh, yeah. Billy Jeans and yeah, Bad yeah, yeah. and Beat It. You know, all that stuff. On that note, like many reviewers took to heart the fact that, you know, this album had a unique format with greatest hits on one disc and new material on the other. In mm-hmm. fact, the inclusion of those greatest hits seemed to have inflated the reviews of the time. Huh. Entertainment Weekly, for example, gave History Begins, the greatest disportion, an A- grade, but the album's new material, a C-, which, quote, winds up a B for the entire album. <laughs> uh, they commented that the music, quote, rarely seems to transport him, being Michael, and thereby us, the listener, to a higher plane. Rarely, but when it does, what a pain yesterday. <laughs> Nevertheless, History is often recognized as Michael Jackson's most personal album. Yeah. Rolling Stones, for example, said that it, quote, unfolds in Jackson's outrage response to everything he has encountered in the last year or so. Mm-hmm. He touched on it all. We yeah. talked about it. The allegations, the world, uh, his own emotions. It's all there. Racism. <laughs> yep. And the New York Times reviewed it as, quote, the testimony of a musician whose self-pity now equals his talent. I was like, I liked that for some reason. I was like, that's, that's a quote. That's a quote. It's like because we talked about drag. it. With, we talked about it with bad, right? Where like he was writing songs that seemed inauthentic to Michael. It's like mm-hmm. Michael, you didn't do those things. <laughs> You're not bad, <laughs> sir. No. But now Michael is sad, and that's authentic. Yeah, this is Michael Jackson sad. <laughs> <laughs> History was nominated for six Grammy awards, such as Best Pop Vocal Performance, Male, and Song of the Year for "You Are Not Alone." Uh, best Pop Collaboration with Vocals for Scream, Best Music Video Short Form for Earth Song, and Album of the Year overall. Uh, Scream ended up winning the Grammy for Best Music Video Short Form. Oh, okay. Yeah, Scream, we didn't talk about it. It's a pretty cool music video. I mean, I guess. It pioneered the late two thousand or like the that's late fair. 90s, early 2000s turn of millennium look. Yeah, that's with fair. The, with the chrome and this, the weird mesh shirts and stuff. <laughs> it was all there in Scream. We didn't even notice. <laughs> It's like, hey, the late 90s, it's here. It's here. In Scream. Trendsetter. And in 1998, the album was ranked number 96 in BBC's Music of the Millennium, a list of 100 albums voted as the best of the millennium. Cool. Yeah. Good job, Mike. I wonder if like, it was like, they had to have like ranked like classical compositions, right? <laughs> sure. I don't know. That's weird. Like millennium. We're talking like the year 1000 to 2000. Sure. Was happy birthday in there? <laughs> That is a song that people sing every day. Jingle Bells? Absolutely not. (laughs) All right, Legacy. Michael Jackson embarked on the History World Tour in September 1996, his third and final solo tour, which concluded October 1997. The artist's follow-up to History Book One, titled Blood on the Dance Floor, History in the Mix, was released in May 1997. It's not good. It's not good. Uh, And featured remixes from the previous album and five new songs, including Ghosts. It's not good. It's not good. (laughs) I agree. It's like really badly produced. You can't uh, hear him at all. <laughs> the album is the best-selling remix album of all time. Oh, okay. Because it's Michael. Yes. And where did Michael Jackson go from here? 
1999, he performed a series of concerts under the name MJ and Friends, alongside numerous other performers like Luther Vandross, Boyz II Men, Slash, The Scorpions, Mariah Carey, and Blackstreet. In 2001, he performed an additional two shows titled Michael Jackson 30th Anniversary Celebration at New York's Madison Square Garden to commemorate his 30th year as a solo artist. Hmm. It's basically like Michael's like birthday party. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like he got to perform and all his friends got to perform <laughs> and like talk about him and celebrate him. The shows featured appearances by Usher, Whitney Houston, Destiny's Child, Monica, Liza Minnelli, and Slash. And Michael performed with his brothers for the first time since 1984. Hey, we're celebrating my solo career. You guys want to come crash? Yeah. Sure. A month later, he released his 10th and final album, Invincible. It debuted at number one in 13 countries and went on to sell 8 million copies worldwide, receiving double platinum certification in the U.S. I don't think I've ever heard any songs off of Invincible. I, I, I've heard it once, and the only noteworthy thing I could say about it is he low-key created dubstep. Oh, my god! And gosh. we didn't notice. Freaking Michael. Like, you go back and there's like, oh, my gosh, there's dubstep on this. <laughs> How did he know? Why did you just go, like, New York auntie? Oh, my gosh, there's dubstep on this. <laughs> In 2002, Jackson performed at New York's Apollo Theater at a fundraiser for Democratic National Convention and former president Bill Clinton. Uh, that would end up being his final live performance, mm. 2002. The aughts, unfortunately, were characterized by controversy for Michael Jackson. A lot of it. And this was when I was, like, growing up. So this is, unfortunately, like, the Michael Jackson I knew as a kid. Yeah. Uh, he became a father of three, leading to further media scrutiny over his parenting habits. Uh, he had a falling out with Sony Music, and he encountered fur further child abuse charges in 2003, though he was acquitted in 2005. Mm-hmm. In March 2009, Michael Jackson announced a series of comeback concerts titled, do you remember? History? This is it. Oh yeah, this is it. Planned to begin July of that year. However, on January 25th, 2009, Michael Jackson passed away from cardiac arrest at his home in Los Angeles. He was 50 years old. Mm. And that was a crazy day. Yeah. Like I remember I was shopping at Kohl's and my mom called me on my cell phone specifically to tell me Michael Jackson just died. And then I heard it on the intercom in Coles. <laughs> they announced it. Oh, wow. On the intercom. Michael, ladies and gentlemen, if we, just, if we have to announce that Michael Jackson has passed away. And I don't know if it was on the in-store radio or someone in the store had to say it. Yeah. It was weird. That is it weird. It was like a national like yeah, it was. thing. Yeah, it was. Uh, a memorial service was held July 7th featuring performances by Mariah Carey, Stevie Wonder, Lionel Richie, Jennifer Hudson, and Shaheen. Oh my gosh, Jafar Goli? Is that how you said it? And eulogies by Smokey Robinson, Queen Latifah, Al Sharpton, and Michael's family. Hmm. The service was one of the most watched events in streaming history, with an estimated U.S. audience of 31.1 million, and a worldwide audience of an estimated 2.5 to 3 billion. That's insane. Where did they get the bandwidth for that? Freaking Peacock got destroyed by FIFA today. <laughs> like, okay, here's the thing. That's a corporation. If you have fans who know what to do, it's going to happen. Yeah. Um, a documentary film titled This Is It comprised of rehearsal footage from the concert series of the same name released in October of that year. I have seen it. If you want to see, like, Michael's final days, it's there. Mm -hmm. And, like, surprisingly, he didn't seem to be, like, missing a beat. He's over there dancing and planning, and it's crazy. Yeah. Uh, and since his death, two posthumous Michael Jackson albums have been released, 2010's Michael and 2014's Escape. 
Okay. Never heard. I haven't heard any of those. Me neither. As the most awarded music artist in history, with 15 Grammy Awards, a Juno Award, six Brit Awards, a Golden Globe Award, and 39 Guinness World Records, Michael Jackson has been dubbed the most successful entertainer of all time. I mean, he worked for it. Yeah. Uh, he was one of the best-selling music artists of all time, as we've mentioned over and over again. With an estimated with estimated sales of over 400 million records worldwide, he had 13 Billboard Hot 100 number one singles, uh, more than any other male artist in that era, and was the first artist to have a top 10 single in the Billboard Hot 100 in five different decades. Uh, he has been inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice, the Vocal Group Hall of Fame, the Songwriters Hall of Fame, the Dance Hall of Fame, the Black Music and Entertainment Walk of Fame, and the Rhythm and Blues Music Hall of Fame. Dang. He is a fame. That is Michael Jackson. Mm, may he rest in peace. Yes. Ooh, That was a lot. That was a lot. But we're not done yet. What? Because, as we've talked about with music albums... Why do I always forget this is a thing? Sometimes the music... Sometimes, just as important as the music of an album, is the album artwork. So I have here the album artwork for Ariane, The Final Experiment, and Michael Jackson's History. And we're going to talk about them, so... Here they are. I'm tired. That is for Arion, the final experiment. Can you describe that for us? It's Camelot, the castle of Camelot, sitting on the Avalon River with um, the background being a black and red starry sky and the sun and or moon is an eyeball. Looking down on the castle. And Arion, the final experiment, is written in... Old English parchment. lettering on parchment. I was gonna—I'm surprised you were able to identify that as Castle Camelot on the uh, the Avalon River because I didn't know that. I was just like, why is it an island? Wow. I don't know. You haven't really gone that deep into the. Therian I guess legend. not. Not the, not the not that stuff. <laughs> this is the gargoyle castle <laughs> that was moved to uh, a river. I was like, it definitely is reminiscent of the lyrics of the album. I guess it's old timey and science fictiony. Mm-hmm. It's not a very good album. Cover? Nope. It looks like something from a comic book, like a lame comic book that yeah. you wouldn't want to read. Or you can scroll over, you can see history. Yep. Um, and history is a statue of Michael Jackson in an outfit that looks kind of familiar, but I'm not sure where it's, it's got, from. It's it's from his uh, history. He, he wore that in the history world tour. It's got like, it. It's got like bandoliers along the sides. Yeah. Like he's like a war general. Yes. Uh, and then it's uh, an upward shot of this statue from like upper thigh up. And the statue is looking down at us and in behind them is a sky with a big old cloud that is black and red. And Michael Jackson uh, written in tasteful lettering on yeah. the side. Yeah. Uh, so that is a real sculpture. It's a real. That's I believe a, it. That's a photograph. Uh, the album cover depicts a 10-foot sculpture of Jackson in a warrior-like pose, <laughs> created in 1994 by sculptor Diana Walzak. Uh, to promote the history tour, Epic Records placed 10 of these 30-foot replicas in locations around the world, such as London, Berlin, and Prague. Are they still there? No, I doubt it. Oh, that's so weird. I was like, yeah, man, it was almost like a alternate reality game back then it's like we've hit michael in 13 <laughs> locations around the world Can you he's find 30 him? feet tall though <laughs> so it shouldn't be too hard um, in 2016 the original statue was installed at the mandalay bay casino in las vegas i don't know if it's still there but that's a weird place for it might be interesting to go see it go to mandalay bay tell us if 
the statue is still in there. Still there. Which album cover's better? Michael's. Really? Yes. I think it's Arion. Incorrect. I think they're both pretty bad. Michael's is like... Nope. It's creepy. I don't like the statue. There's a floating eyeball in Arion's. Okay, I guess we're going to call this one a draw. Cause, <laughs> uh, yeah, I, don't, I think it's the first time we've had a draw in the, the album art contest. I think you're right. Either way, yeah. Let us know. Do you think, which album art do you think is better? We'll have a poll on Twitter. Maybe mm-hmm. on Instagram, not sure. No. Just on Twitter. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter at Media Made Show. Um, yeah, which, al- which album's better? Um, we, didn't, we didn't answer that question. I'll give it to whatever you say, because I think both are, like, rock opera is not my thing, so it was, like, as a whole, right? Not just of the songs that we talked yeah. about. It was, like, mm. I, th- I, th- I still think it's Michael. Yeah, honest. okay, like, so be, the thing with Michael is, like, half of it is all good old stuff, and the other half of it is, uh, so, I mean, like, yeah, it's better because you're hearing, like, things that are tried and true good, but plus the other stuff, but, I mean, Arion Ari- is... Better balanced. Mm-hmm. The good stuff is all throughout. Michael's is very offset, but I feel like the highest highs of Michael Jackson's album are better than anything on Arion. That's fair. And so let's give it to Michael. I give it to Michael. I think he's earned it. <laughs> he did. We award Michael yet another thing to tack onto his award. Yeah. Put that on the Wikipedia. Media Made Award. Yeah. <laughs> several Media Made Awards. He has gotten several Media Made Awards. All right. And I think that's time for Runners Up now. Yeah. Okay. So this was a pretty uh, dry year for both of us. So we each only have one runners up and your runners up, which was uh, unintriguing to you. Big surprise. Was Dream Theater's A Change in Seasons. All right. So A Change in Seasons is an EP by Dream Theater. It is two halves. The first half is all one song. It's 25 minutes long. It's A Change in Seasons. It is one of their best songs ever. It's excellent. The second half is all covers songs. You know, Journey, um, Yes, I think is in there. Queen, right? It's a lot of covers. I, When I collected these albums, I only got Change of Seasons and ignored the covers for a long time. Only recently did I download those covers and add them to my collection. So, Arion squeezed in a win because I hear I have heard Arion, The Final Experiment, from start to finish more often than I've heard A Change of Seasons start to finish as an album. I'm really glad we didn't do a 25-minute song. I would I would have quit the show. <laughs> I love you. I would have quit the show. But Change of Seasons is a recommend. And hey, this is the first time that Dream Theater has been beat by anything. So that's noteworthy. That is noteworthy. Um, okay, for me, my only runner-up was Alanis Morissette's Jagged Little Pill. It's the one with... Because uh, I only know one song from it. You Ought to Know. I don't, that's not or, the one. Uh, ironic. Uh, ironic. Yes, that's the only song I know. You, you, you ought to know. I don't know what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> that's the song. Okay. It's, their, it's like the best breakup song of all time. Okay. You'll, you'll know. I'll play it off mic. You'll be like, yes, I've heard that song. Okay. Anyway, yeah. Well, Ennis Morissette's uh, Jagged Little Pill is actually a really great album. Cool. You're with that. All right. It's time for the end of the show. Plugs. Oh, yeah. Let's get some hair plugs in here. Uh, you can follow us on the Twitters and the Instagrams at Media Made Show on both those platforms. At Media Made Show. We have things like polls, and we share videos and pictures and other fun things. <laughs> you can do us a few favors. Uh, tell a friend about the show. If you're mm-hmm. a fan of Media Made, tell a friend. Tell two friends. Tell them, hey, they got the great podcast, and then tell them to look up an episode that seems interesting to them. Movies, music, TV. Yeah, we do them all. Uh, leave us, you can leave us reviews on your podcast platform of choice. We're on, obviously, whatever you're listening on. <laughs> if, if, if it has a way to leave us a review or leave us some stars, do it for us, please. Um, and... 
Just keep if listening. You follow, yeah. Okay. Just keep listening. We appreciate you guys. Yeah. Uh, if you want to follow me personally on Twitter, I'm at Rob the Master, and I have several projects. I write for a video game website called ZeldaDungeon.net. We write about the video game series, The Legend of Zelda. I also host a wrestling YouTube show called Keep Kayfabe. That's K-A-Y-F-A-B-E. We talk about the careers of our favorite professional wrestlers. So if that sounds interesting, you can check that out too. What do you got? I am on YouTube doing things on YouTube, like telling stories. They're like lies, except with a plot. <laughs> and I do vlogs occasionally. Right now, I've been doing nothing because life is a lot. So it's a dead channel at the moment, but I plan on bringing things back pretty soon. So if you would like to check me out, Taming Tales on YouTube. Nice. And with that, we're going to close out the the show with the end of Earth Song. I, I feel like there's no better way to do it. Right? No. Just let Earth Song carry us out. Feel the power in the emotion. And uh, that's that. So any parting words? Kids, the final experiment's in your hands. It is. <laughs> Good night. Good night.